Hey, Bubblies, and welcome to My Streaming Bubble. It's that little old podcast where I talk about the shows that I love with the people I tolerate. I'm your host, Jen, and today, returning to the pod basement is my best good tolerable, Eric. And we're headed back to the Upper West Side of 1950s, 60s New York to catch up with our favorite fast-talking affluent families. The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, Season 4. Hello, Eric, and welcome back to the pod basement. Aw, thanks for having me. Of course. Love being here. Uh, it's I always love doing in-person recordings because it's so much more fun, mm-hmm. you know, because then we, we're sharing space, we're feeding off each other's energies, and it's just... No connection issues. <laughs> <laughs> well, except when I come here, we seem to have audio issues, but you know what? Okay, I concede it was my fault. I pushed the wrong button, so. But that's my fault, though, because That was I'm your here. fault, because you were here, and I was, like, <laughs> messing with the ones and the twos, so. <sighs> I'm just kidding. What you going to do? And just complain <laughs> about it and then move on. Yeah. <laughs> life. All right, anyways, enough of that. <laughs> So this is the Amazon original series, so you can stream it there. And it still stars Rachel Brosnahan, Alex Borstein, Michael Zegan, Tony Shalhoub, Karen Hinkle, Kevin Pollack, and so many more. So for this episode today, we are talking about all of season four. So I'll go ahead and give you their spoiler warning synopsis for this season. So from IMDb, I just pulled what they had for season four, episode one, because they don't really they didn't really have anything for the season. But Mid returns with a new game plan after getting kicked off Shy Baldwin's tour. Joel is too successful for his own good. Susie finds a creative way to get the cash she needs. My little synopsis, spoiler warning, is this is the season with a bunch of Gilmore Girl actors. <laughs> <laughs> And motherfucking John Waters. There so. is a few of the Gilmore Girl actors on here. And yeah, I knew you were going to love that John Waters cameo. I knew you were going to be all about it. Well, and I I already knew he was going to be in season four back when season four was originally filming because the still had right. dropped. Yeah, And yeah. I was like, okay, 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 let's hurry up and do season, let's hurry up and get to season four. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so. All right, we will go ahead and just dive right into our chat. So, Eric, general thought, general thoughts on this season. General, I don't think I have a general thought on Can this season. Can you try? Season. Oh, <laughs> well, here, that's the thing. I have thoughts about this season. Yeah. So, you know already, this is one of my favorite shows. But like a lot of shows, sometimes they have seasons that I, that just sometimes don't always work for them. They're, they're, to me, those are the seasons that stand out, but not always in a good way. Sure. And for me, that was this season. No way. Now, that's not to say I didn't like everything about this season. Mm-hmm. This season had some wonderful moments in it. Sure. Um, especially that one big moment, the, 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 the will they, <laughs> won't they. But overall, I felt like, and I think this a lot had to do with the pandemic. Uh, I felt like maybe this season may not have been written to its full potential as seasons one through three. I feel like there were new characters introduced that don't fit in the Mrs. Maisel universe that the, the, that the Palantinos. Alfie. Oh, okay. Alfie is my biggest standout character, but I'll get more to that later. Okay. Um, again, though, like you said, this is, this was a great season for a slew of cameos. You know, from our Gilmore Girls gang. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Emily, Jesse, you know, Jesse. Jess. Jess. Team Jess all the way. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> you don't even get his name right. Okay. Oh, my bad. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, but overall, I just felt like the season was lacking something that the first three seasons brought to the table. And the, my only issue with it is, is that I can't quite figure out what it is. It's hmm. just that the the season's fun to watch. It's still it's still Mrs. Maisel. It's still got those quirks. It's got that great, you know, that loud humor. You know, mm-hmm. it's got these characters who just those character tropes from like Abe and Moish and you know the you know the Maisels and the Weissmans that we love. But to me, something just felt like it was missing. But the problem is, is I couldn't figure out what. So again, I not. It's not that I didn't like this season. Right. But to me, it just felt like something was very different about it in a way that I can't quite explain. And I have a feeling a lot of it may have had to have done with the introduction of Alfie. Hmm. And I hate to put this all on one character, but (laughs) I think his inclusion in the show just didn't, in my opinion, did not fit this world. Okay. So I have no problem with the magician. Yeah. But... Not Alfie. Okay. So not a magician per se as like someone new for Susie to have picked up uh, to represent. Mm-hmm. But the character it's, personality that we got I think it's more the Alfie. character of Alfie that really threw me off. Okay. And just the way that... God, I don't know really know how to say it. So you know that you you remember in episode seven, the hypnotizing scene with mm-hmm. Rose. As great as that was... That is, I felt like that scene was very out of, well, out of character per se, I guess we'll say for the series. Like, I just can't imagine there being in this world, people getting hypnotized and then recreating an entire, you know, comedy set. It's just, I don't see that. Hmm. Um, Also in episode, was it episode one or episode two? Okay, hold on. I said general thoughts. Don't die. Sorry, sorry, sorry. You're so ready and eager to just tear uh, Alfie down. No, I'm just I'm kidding. I'm sorry. What well, are your general thoughts? <laughs> I loved this season. Okay. This is Good. my favorite season so wow. far. Wow, you and I are on opposite ends I know. Here. This is kind of interesting. That's new. And I acknowledge that I might be biased because of all the Gilmore Girl uh, actors showing up. I mean, in my notes, I've got Digger really big. Mm-hmm. And then I've got like... Um, I was like, oh, my God, that's Max. And John Water is all real big. And then Emily. And then I wrote for episode seven, I wrote loud gasp. It's Jess. And then a bunch of hearts. You see that? <laughs> she did write in a bunch of hearts. She. <laughs> so and that's I think, cool. And then I think somewhere in my notes, too, I was just like, I am 100 percent here for all the Gilmore Girl actors and everything so they totally got me that way but i thought the writing was really good so you know how in the first couple especially in like the first season first two seasons they're really trying to get midge's act down to a tight 10 you know yeah i felt like this season was a tight 10 in that kind of i felt like i thought the writing was was up there i laughed so hard so many times abe had some of the best lines i think i only wrote down some of like abe some of the lines that abe said because they were my favorite and they just and the way Tony Shalhoub delivers them and everything is just fucking perfection. Wow. So I thought I thought the writing was great. I didn't really see anything super problematic with this season versus last season. Yeah. Although now that we don't have Shy Baldwin and his crew, we have that lack of people of color. Sure, we're getting, you know, we got Dina or Dinah and yeah, everything. Yeah. But let's, compared to last season, but that, 
But like we said in for season three, I don't think it was handled all that well. Right. And yeah, there wasn't a whole lot of like problematic language. I think they dropped the word midget like once or twice. And so I just kind of rolled my eyes and was like, been there, covered that, moving right. on. But they're not dropping like any R-bombs anymore. Right. At least not in this season. Yeah. You know? So, and they're not not necessarily doing anything like culturally insensitive. For a hot second, I really, the whole like with May and... uh Midge sending Nikki and Frankie to follow her, and then they're like, nope, too hot, can't do it, because mm-hmm. of... So you're kind of left to assume that she's connected to some sort of Chinese mafia or something. Oh, yeah. And so, for a hot second, I kind of rolled my eyes, and I was like, really? But then again, we're also still in this series, we are kind of having a little fun with some stereotypes, Jewish stereotypes, mm-hmm. rich people stereotypes. Mm-hmm. So I'm like... I'll let it slide mm-hmm. and I'm not going to get all caught up on it. And I'm, it's just part of that equal treatment of the groups that the Paladinos have yeah. thrown in this season. So, so with all of that said, this is, I think so far my favorite season. You know, I'm very, very happy for you because this is, this <laughs> show has been a, a very, I feel like as much as I know you've enjoyed it, I feel like for you, for compared to other shows you watched, this one's been a little more of a slow burn for you to really, really get into. And this is the first time I've heard you say that you loved this season. Like, I know you've always said, oh, I like this season or I like these yeah, episodes. Yeah. But this is the first time I've ever heard you say you love a whole season. I yeah. think that's awesome. Despite how I feel about it, I'm so happy to hear uh, you are now, like, completely <laughs> on board with this. Which oh, you yeah. have been. But... I have been. And I, you know, because... I will admit there is something about the Paladino's writing, that fast pace. There's a reason why I own the important seasons of the Gilmore Girls on disc. <laughs> and there is always there's always gonna be something about that. Right. But now that I am older and I'm not watching, you know, it's not two thousand five or whatever, and mm-hmm. I'm not the age I was in two thousand five with that slightly different perspective. Like I'm it's kind of easier for me to like pick things apart, yeah. I feel like. Sure. And this season, maybe I'm just a little tired, but I was, I, I didn't really have a whole hell of a lot to pick apart. Like, yeah. again, like I said, like we did for season three and I just kind of went off a little bit on all that. But it's all good. Um, it had to be said again. So, but this, I yeah. So my general thoughts for this season are that I think it's my favorite. I think they got it down to that nice tight 10. I felt like maybe COVID kind of helped improve some of the writing. Okay. Um, so you think maybe because they had a little extra time, they could, uh, they maybe, uh, kind of refine some things maybe, okay. All right. but so either way, but maybe by the end of, uh, today's recording, today's episode, you'll be able to maybe pinpoint what it was that it was missing by having this conversation. Sure. So, all right. Well, we've got our whole list of characters and as we go through our little list of characters, we'll kind of hit up their different plot points. And so I've got them all listed out, but like I told Eric, we don't have to go in the exact order listed. Mm-hmm. Everything will kind of get jumbled in throughout this discussion because I want to try and keep these more loose and natural and not like we got to hit point A and then point B. Yeah. You know what I mean? Sure. Um, I'm sure we, there would still be episodes where that would be more needed, but... Uh, for now, we're going to try this, loosey-goosey. So we'll go ahead and start with our starring ladies. We've got Midge and her new plan, and Susie is thriving. And with those, we get a whole bunch of stuff. So <laughs> <laughs> You can't really describe it any better than that, really. Really? So, all right, why don't we go ahead? We'll start with these two, 
and see where we end up from there. But what did you think about where Midge and Susie are, respectively? Because they're not necessarily, they're still a team, but they're not side by side like we've seen them in the first three seasons. So you notice that too. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. So Susie is becoming more, I believe, more aware of what she's capable of doing. Even though she's still learning, she's... She she's learning from her mistakes with Midge, and now she's taking those mistakes, honing them, and building her, building herself up to the to to the manager she wants to be. Mm-hmm. She's uh you know she and not just her her mistakes with Midge, but more her mistakes uh with Sophie Lennon, and how that entire thing just basically blew up. But she learned a lot from it. Mm-hmm. She learned a lot from it. Um. Susie Meyerson and Associates. I mean, I love it. Frankie and Nikki. Oh yeah. I've got I've got our side characters listed as kind of their own separate thing, but we'll go ahead and toss in a little Frankie. And I got and Nikki something interesting to say about them a little later. But I loved them. Oh, they're the best. But I I think for Susie, Susie is really starting to come out of her shell mm-hmm. more than ever this season, and mm-hmm. I'm very happy for her for that. And I think Alex Bornstein in this season has performed her best season as Susie in season four. I think this is her, Mm. this is the best uh, Susie performance from her. I have seen so far because now we're seeing her. She's still Susie, but now she's Susie with more confidence, Yes, you know? Yes. Um, I loved Susie this season. Again, my favorite season so far. So I loved Susie. I loved her arc. I love that. uh, Like you said, her confidence even the hiring process, like she still doesn't know. She's still very completely unsure, but she's so cute with her book and then calling and trying to get tips because she is determined to be to hire a secretary. Yeah. And then she ends up doing it her way. Yeah. Just some some gal just sitting out her outside her office all fucking day and she's like, fine, you're hired. Loved it. Yeah, exactly. And you know, Susie really um I feel like this season for me, she really shined. And I'm really excited to see what they do with her going into season five, because with that, that's leading more into Midge, Mm -hmm. because like we said, they're still together, but they're now more separated than ever. And the experience that they had with Shy Baldwin is, I think, in a way, kind of caused a little bit of a divide between them, because Miriam wants to do things her way. Mm -hmm. She does not want to be an opening act anymore. She wants to be a headliner. She wants it all, mm-hmm. and she won't take no for an answer, hence the whole Tony Bennett gig. Mm-hmm. You know, that what a huge opportunity that would have been for her. She could have been a headliner had she taken that. And Susie, being the manager and friend that she is to Miriam, was like, okay, we won't do it, but at the same time was like, what the fuck, mm-hmm. you know? And that got thrown back in Miriam's face at the end of the season with when Lenny Bruce called her out on oh, it. Oh, I know. I loved that so much. I was yeah, so I glad know. he did that. And then the way he ended that whole uh, kind of trying to convince her to do it was that his line was, if you don't do it, you're going to break, break my, my heart. heart. Yeah. And I love that, too, because Lenny, you know, so we'll get right into it. Lenny and Midge fucked. And it they was. And it was so beautiful. But I loved, I love their tension. Oh my God, that scene right before they do it and they're sitting across from each other and they're stairs. Uh, I felt that tension and I was like, ooh, Mm -hmm. I like it. It's horny. It's horny. (laughs) (laughs) So. Guy meets girl. But she's all like, you know, she demands that he remember that she's funny, first and foremost. And all I could think was like, that's, 
the probably the number one reason why he wants to sleep with you and that why he's wanted to sl- and stayed kind of in orbit of you for these last three, you know, last several seasons is because he thought you were funny. You're attractive as well, but you know what drew him to her first was her comedy. Yeah. So, so when he dropped that line of, you know, if you don't take the gig, you're going to, you'll break my heart. Yeah. That to me shows that Lenny is 100% serious in keeping his word that, or truly keeping in belief that Miriam is funny. She is a funny comic, not a funny female comic, but a funny ass and comedian. The thing that he really, that I think he really drilled, tried to drill into her head in that last scene that they had together. You know, he he called her out by saying, "You're hiding." She's like, "I'm not hiding." He's like, "You're and fucking hiding." I love that because and when he said that, I was like, oh, "You're right, Lenny. She is." Yeah, I was all sure. like, "Yeah, Team Miriam, do it, do it your way. Yeah. You fight the system. You fight that uh, uh, patriarchy and everything." But I was like. Oh shit, Lenny's right. She's hiding. You know, I was actually thinking about something that you said, something to those lines when I was watching this episode last night. Because I, you, you know me, and anyone knows me, I love me a strong female protagonist. I absolutely, I mean, I, I go heads over heel for that. But what I loved about this scene is even for a strong female character like Mary Maisel, you know, her hearing this from Lenny Bruce, who just so happens to be a man. This isn't just a man telling a woman something. This is, you know, someone on an equal playing field as her. They are, they are equals, in my opinion. You know, he may have been in this business a little longer, but he sees her as an equal. But he knows that if she doesn't take these chances, getting hired and fired, hired and fired, and just keep doing it until you learn from your mistakes, he knows then that she's going to fail. Mm-hmm. And he's trying to prevent that. And I think that he trying to give her the best advice that he can the way that he can, the way he knows mm-hmm. how, yeah. you know, and she, I don't think she ever really realized how the business truly worked until that conversation. I think she always thought like she could get away with doing it the way she wants, but now I think she realizes she can't mm-hmm. and she's going to need to take those, make those sacrifices. When I think there's a way and we'll probably hopefully see this in season five where she's able to do things her way, but still work. Yes. Lenny, Lenny's really kind of pushing the whole, you have to work. You can't just stick yourself in this burlesque show as the MC, which I kind of, I totally love that whole arc and everything and Boise and the girls. I fucking loved it. Anyways, we'll get to them in a little bit, but, uh, yeah. So he calls her out and he's like, you have to work. You can't just keep doing this one shit gig and like Susie said I have no one I I have like people that want to see you I can't send them there because it's illegal you know this the burlesque show in of itself and so well even he says like he he says during that conversation too he's like he's like how he's like how do you think I feel knowing that half the people in this audience want to see the cops come up here and just arrest me Mm -hmm. you know which I thought was a really nice change of perspective for the Lenny character because I think we all have been viewing Lenny through Midge's eyes in that he's outspoken, he's going to stand up for himself, he's going to fight for the right to say what he wants. Yeah, Yeah, we still, we kind of, you know, want to see him tangle with the police and be funny and and whatever and all of that, wake up in jail or wake up at the Wiseman's. But we see this other side of him where he is driven and he wants to be successful. So Mm -hmm. it's not this image of Lenny Bruce that we've been given through this series. Yeah. 
it, we've given we're given a bit more, a more human side, a more uh wants to succeed. Yeah. You know, yeah. and then here he is at Carnegie Hall kind of making it. The op, you know, it, it, this is what he's worked for, you yeah. know. Yep. And he wants that for her too. Yes. But he wants her to want that, but he wants her to realize that if you want this, you have to work for it. Mm-hmm. And she's thinking that working at, you know, the burlesque house is I think she seems comfortable in that gig, and, and he I, and he wants her to get out of her comfort zone. And I can understand her wanting to stay at the burlesque because, like, she wants she wants to tell her jokes. Yeah, and it's and, steady. Yeah, you know, and she wants to be able to be crass like the male comics. Mm-hmm. You know, tell those jokes, uh, not necessarily to like the Jackie O crowds, but <laughs> like yeah. we saw this season. But she, you know, really, what can. <laughs> What stand-up comedian do you think would ever actually truly be happy with just steady work? You know, it just seems like such an odd thing to to for 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 a comedian to want to just be steady in one place and be comfortable. Yeah. You know, I, I feel like it's something that it, to me that seems like a career that needs to kind of always be in motion, always yeah. changing and adapting, yeah. and growing, mm-hmm. and so you can't. You know, you can't really do that when you're stuck in one place cracking mm-hmm. dick jokes all night. That's true. You know, if she wants to move more towards like social commentary, kind of like Lenny has done, yeah. you have to kind of get out there mm-hmm. and experience those failures For sure. and those hardships. So yeah. I love that. Oh my God. I love those two so much. I don't even fucking care. But <laughs> I love, I love the Lenny and the Midge angst and i love that even after they've slept with each other he's they're incredibly honest with each other in that mm-hmm. moment on the empty stage at carnegie hall and i'm glad things didn't get awkward between them after that happened Yeah, i was a little worried about that i but... was too when i first saw this season i was just like oh boy now he's gonna be like i can't talk to you anymore or yeah whatever. or maybe i was worried one of them would would be all awkward with it right so... but i'm glad they didn't make it awkward i'm you know in you know, Lenny even said that what what I loved is what he I, this isn't verbatim, but he basically said that, you know, he sold out Carnegie Hall, like thousand plus seater facility during a terrible snowstorm. And people mm-hmm. were coming out, mm-hmm. risking their lives just to have a good laugh with him that night mm-hmm. and have fun. And again, going back to what I was saying before, he was again saying to her. Don't you want that? This is what you, this is what it's all about. Mm-hmm. Don't is it? If this is what you want, you got to make the strides to make it happen. So mm-hmm. I think I know we're not talking about season five yet, but I feel like we're going to see more of that come out in season five, like you said, and have Miriam take that conversation to heart and figure out what she wants. Well, and then because the last place we see Miriam is out in the snowstorm, she's kind of uh, getting a little lost in the snowstorm, kind of getting pushed around with the wind and everything. Yeah. And then she sees the sign. And at first it looks like it says, go, go forward. forward. Yeah. And then the snowstorm kind of clears out a little bit where you can see the sign better. And it's that uh, Gordon, Gordon Ford, Gordon yeah. Ford that yeah. Susie's been kind of pushing for, but she has, again, has nowhere to send Gordon Ford's people to see Mitch mm-hmm. in a legit establishment. Mm-hmm. So you see all of that. And so, I'm led to believe that Midge is going to take what Lenny said to heart, but she's not going to compromise herself. No. She will do the work, but she's still going to stand firm on what work she won't do. Right. I think it's probably a good idea to maybe stay away from opening acts because things did not go. Her and Sophie Lennon, 
in front of a live studio oh audience <laughs> was some of the best shit. Oh, it was so good. So I, I feel like that's where we're going to see Midge maybe in season five, whether she's starting off on that route or maybe a little couple couple steps into that. You sure. know what I mean? Where maybe she's gone over to Gordon and is like, look, you can see me maybe at the gaslight or something, even though that's. It's the gaslight. It's still a better place than, than an illegal Right. At least house. it's a legitimate establishment, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. So that's kind of what I'm, what I would, I think would we would see for something along those lines for Midge. Sure. And Susie, what else can we say about Susie? I loved her. I loved her arc. I love that she got her space. I love, fucking love, love, love Frankie and Nikki. I don't care what Midge says. Let her buddy up with some gangsters and get some shit at yeah. no cost. You know, since like you, that second phone line. And since you, since you mentioned that, you know, um, Miriam, that conversation she had with Susie out in the hallway mm-hmm. about Frankie and Nikki and how she basically is saying, I don't trust these guys yeah. without saying, I don't trust these guys. I think Miriam is blowing everything with Frankie and Nikki way out of proportion. I I mean, I, I do believe that they're going to want some sort of cut from her, from Susie, because they said it. But mm-hmm. at the same time, I think they're willing to be very lenient with someone like Susie. Because they've grown so to too. have a really good relationship with her. I mean... She's one know, of the gang now, basically. At, throughout the season, they're just like, oh, you're family. We're family now. And it's like, at first, you kind of... Me, anyways, I was like, oh, that's so sweet, forgetting that they're fucking gangsters. And I'm like, oh, maybe they mean your family now. <laughs> your family. When they go into the room and close the blinds on the telephone guy. Oh, he's like, two lines? <laughs> or even when we're first introduced to him this season and they're sitting down at the diner, you know, Frankie, Nikki, and Susie, and Frankie and Nikki are telling the story about like shoving eyeballs or balls into the yeah. wrong dude's throat, and that you know the, the typical yeah. ways you you shove the balls of the person into their own mouth or whatever it was. And I'm like, that is the that most was, graphic YouTube has good ever writing. gotten. And so that kind of I thought it was really interesting for them to start off with that story almost as a way to try and remind viewers these are as if. As charming and as endearing as they can be, they are bad people and they it's do true. bad things. That is true. And I, I don't necessarily blame Midge uh, for being concerned yeah. because if Susie has this muscle and she gets a little too comfortable with it, what kind of reputation then is she as a talent representative going to end up getting? And I don't think yeah. Susie wants that. So I think sure. – I think we're going to see maybe see a little bit of a parallel with Susie and Midge maybe next season where Susie wants to continue on her path, on her awesome trajectory of being uh, a great talent manager and everything. But she's going to have to scale it back a bit and do it more on her terms mm-hmm. and not so much be as dependent on gangster help. Now, if Frankie and Nikki want to help because they like her and they care and they want to see her, su- see her succeed without asking Without coming back and asking for a favor later. Uh, that's great. Yeah. But I think I understand Midge's point about maybe trying to distance Susie from those two because word's going to get around. And I don't think Susie wants pity talent or you know what I mean? Like, sure, sure. Like people signing on with her because they are afraid not to otherwise. So you're thinking that it's possible that Nikki and Nikki and Frankie could possibly intimidate people to sign with Susie. Absolutely. Uh, And just knowing that and whether or not they go out and they muscle 
prospective talent, just knowing that she she's associated with these two goons or henchmen. Where did we land with these two? They're goons or anyways. <laughs> They're total goons. They're Those total guys goons. are goons. <laughs> so yeah. Uh, so to me, that's kind of where, where Miriam was coming from was more about like protecting Susie's reputation uh, as a, as a talent manager and wanting to keep Susie as a legit talent manager. Yeah. You know what I mean? I think so. Yeah. But I love them. They were family. And then Dinah, uh, Susie's new secretary, she's got her niece and nephew running around the office all the time. And what was, I don't remember what it was, but they asked the little niece something and she's like, I'm not snitching. And Frankie or Nikki was like, at a girl. Oh, wasn't it about, because he, he he gave her like a sucker or something like something. that? It, I mean, it wasn't anything. Like, it was like a little kid kind of Yeah, Susie thing. was like, where'd you get that lollipop? Yeah. And she's like, I'm not snitching. Yeah, and then Nikki's like, or whatever. Well, Frankie was Frank, just like, I like this girl. one. Not a girl. That's a good girl. That's funny. <laughs> <laughs> you got to really appreciate those guys. Like, even though, like, despite the fact that they're gangsters, you know, they're so lighthearted. They're so well written, and they're they're lovable. They are they lovable. Are how, like, you honestly, you wanted like get a group hug with those two. Uh, kind you know? of. <laughs> I wouldn't mind having Frankie and Nikki at bat for me. You know what I mean? I'm just like, look, I need some new podcast guests. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Like, you like Tony Shalhoub? We'll get you Tony Shalhoub. <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> oh, that's good. So I just, I had to throw him in there because, and just as a, before we get more into the side characters, yeah. as a blanket statement, I really loved the increased presence of all of our side characters this season. I did like that too. We really, because I felt like we really got to know a lot of them a lot better this mm-hmm. year. And I liked just kind of where they were. So, yeah. all right, well. Since we're still kind of a bit on Midge and Susie, we also have, I, I just have to bring up her one night stand with Jess Mariano, which is definitely more of a Dean thing to do. Uh... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, oh my God, I, I just, I fucking loved all the Gilmore Girl people showing up. Now, if they could get Kirk to show up, <gasps> I might just fucking... Oh, that would be so awesome. into the TV for ages. Wouldn't it be great if he actually came on as his Kirk character? Like a like an ancestor of Kirk, like, Kirk's grandpa. Like let's say, yeah, Kirk's grandfather. We'll call him Derek. <laughs> Mick. Mick. Because that's what his first name was in when Kirk was originally introduced in Gilmore Oh, Girls. you're right. You're right. <laughs> and you know what? He has to pop up at least three times, and each time he has to be working a different job. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe he get a job at the Gaslight or something. I like it. <laughs> I love it. All right, Sean Gunn. You, you can, can free yourself from your brother's chains. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding, James Gunn. Don't hate me. But yeah, bring in, I don't know his real name, but bring in the actor who plays who plays Jess. Yeah. Milo Ventimiglia. I've never been able to say his last name. Got it. Yeah, that was cool. That was a surprise when I saw that instantly. Because when I first saw that, me and Anastasia were still finishing up Gilmore Girls. Okay, We were like maybe on the last two seasons at that point. And we were both almost simultaneously like, Yes! <laughs> and it was awesome. Oh my god. I like I said, I, I acknowledge that these cameos are probably why I love has made me biased to this season. Mm-hmm. But I fucking loved it. Yeah. It was so hard not to text you every single time an actor popped up. Yeah, I know. First it's Digger! It's like <laughs> holy shit, it's Digger! Abe's working for Digger. 
And then there was Max Medina. And I was like, hashtag justice for Max. Which one was Max Medina? He's like the rich guy that hired Rose to be the matchmaker for his large, rich, homely family. Oh, is that? Oh. That was Max Medina. I did not even realize Uh that. Oh, cool. I wait. I was like, God, I know the voice. I know the voice. I know the voice. Max motherfucking Medina. And then, of course, the head bitch in charge, Emily Gilmore, Mm -hmm. shows up. In, with her little gang of matchmakers, which I thought was really funny because with Rose at the table reminded me of the five families. The five families? Gangster families. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> they, dude, those women were gangsters. You see oh, that? I oh, know. my God. I loved it. That's they some had... gangster shit they were throwing at Rose right there, too. They had, uh, they had your Italian representation. They had the Irish representation. Mm-hmm. Like, they fucking... It was so funny. Oh, the Irish lady was so funny, too. I loved, I loved her. Maybe it was the Irish accent. I don't know, but I just loved her. Yeah. I mean, the accents were... So, I just... I couldn't help but get a little bit of a chuckle out of that because I was like, ooh. Because yeah. then by the end of the season, Rose is like, fuck it, I'm going to do my matchmaker yeah. thing. And I was like, yes, the five families of matchmaking for season five. <laughs> and I just love, though, when she when she sends them the letter saying that she's not going to stop. I love how uh, the character that, uh, well, Emily Gilmore, that's, God, I wish I knew her real name. So she's just Emily Gilmore matter. to me. Yeah. Now. <laughs> uh, the character that she plays, I love how she's just like, going to war uh-huh. it's like really well because they even <laughs> mentioned at that first meeting about the wars and you're just like what wars what fuck like, <laughs> like, like our like our matchmakers here? stabbing each other in the streets and you know oh, leaving them on the corner by the sewer and sewer like fifth avenue i don't know <laughs> <laughs> leaving them to the rats yeah so i i guess we're gonna do the wisemans now but i loved i really liked where the wisemans were too this season mm-hmm. uh abe's working for the village voice mm-hmm. and he's getting paid very very little but he is so happy, happy. and yeah. i love that shift in perspective for him and even for rose where she's kind of accepted it even though she had to make up her own lie about why they're living with midge and yada yada yeah i think that's but, shady but well and i think that's a generational rich person that too is too caught up in what everyone else is thinking kind of thing yeah exactly so. but they're both happy and they're both doing well true for them you know and we still get a couple of nice rose versus midge fights because let's be honest the paladinos really know how to write good arguments true just really funny exchanges and then even earlier in the season we get the whole exchange through the ferris wheel oh yeah yeah coney island yeah that was a good scene. god you people are the worst what i loved about that (laughs) scene though is to me that is like a classic palandino style scene right there that is what and i and i thought that was great yeah so if you watch their work you know yes so (laughs) yeah and you get and i felt and i really felt that like i felt like this was some of my more favorite Paladino writing was this season. Okay. Between, cool. you know, the Ferris wheel and still some of these Midge and Rose moments. Mm-hmm. And a lot of, like, the cold opens deal with really quick-witted exchanges. Mm-hmm. Very Gilmore Girl-esque. Yeah, and sure. this season, I thought, was some of the best. Yeah. Some of the best writing cool. exchanges. So, yeah. But, yeah, these, these four families of matchmakers, they're somehow much scarier than the D.A.R. <laughs> The Daughters of the American Revolution from Gilmore Girls. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) 
They love the the Paladinos love writing in their little uh, their little cliques, don't you? The, oh yeah. Like, the, the little oh, yeah. social clubs. Oh yeah. You know? Well, and even some of the sets looked like they were from the DAR, and you know some of the banquet halls or yeah. you know reception areas and whatnot. So I didn't look up to see if they were, but I would not be surprised at all if they were very similar sets yeah. or the same set. So, but yeah. So okay, I want to write down. I think I want to try and get. So some of my favorite Abe lines, I tried to highlight them in my notes, um, was, okay, so in episode two, I don't remember what they were talking about, but he was told not to have a knee-jerk reaction. He said, it's not. I heard your offer and instantly knew it was stupid. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm just going to have to, like, stash that one away because that was great. Who was he talking to when that happened? Um, oh, Midge or, or Rose. It was it was happening in the house. Okay. Okay. So, and then oh, that when, sounds like something he would say to Miriam. I don't know if he would. Yeah. Act, he he would never talk to Rose like that. So then, yeah, it was probably yeah. Miriam, and maybe that's when she was suggesting they live. I don't remember exactly, but it was, right. the line just that's what I remember. Uh, when Abe, Abe takes accidental communion and he didn't know what to do and he was just sitting there with a mouthful of Christ. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, and then he was like, I think the priest got or the priest got very suspicious when I said Mazel Tov. <laughs> I just, and I loved their reactions to the whole thing too. Oh, so good. Um, Abe also says in episode eight, God, uh, God is a brilliant marketing ploy. Yeah. Which I, I agree. Mm-hmm. And then his whole thing after Moishe's uh, heart attack and Abe's very much like, I, I'm going first. When he's talking to Shirley. Yeah. And Shirley's like, well, what are you going to do if Rose goes first? And Abe's very much like, no, I'm going to go first. Which was very reminiscent of when Richard Gilmore had his first heart attack and Emily was insistent that she was going first. Yeah. So I'm just like, you guys really know how to write heart attacks and mm-hmm. who goes first. <laughs> right, right. Um, you yeah. mentioned uh, your favorite Abe lines. Uh, uh, your uh, this a couple of your favorite Abe lines for mm-hmm. the season. I didn't write down too many, but there is one that I actually did write, um, and it actually is from episode two as well. Mm-hmm. And it's from the end of the episode where oh. him and Miriam are having that just like fatherly father daughter moment, sitting on the floor watching the Twilight Zone together. Oh yeah, yeah. It was really was cute. Nice. You know, he just got his first paycheck, and you know, you know, he hands so... it over to her, He's and like, he should... I want to help, and yeah, yeah. and she's like, well, he is like, what do you think this will buy? And she was like, an egg, yeah, maybe two, <laughs> you know. And here I was like, and, oh. Shit, is he like making bucks? And then he's not. Yeah. So it's like, oh. But you know, it was great because we saw really in that scene, he, he hates the money that he's getting, but he loves where he's working. Like you mentioned, he's happy now. And he says something to Miriam that I thought was so awesome. And it was such a, uh, it was a way for him, I felt like that he was now opening up to her. Or for or, or like he was mo- now more open to what she is trying to mm-hmm. pursue when he said that we are both pursuing our art. Yes. And I thought that was such a supportive line for his daughter. Mm-hmm. So n- now that he, well, it was in season two when he, yeah, at the Catskills when he found out that she was a comedian. Um, <laughs> that it's so funny. <laughs> I love that when we just mentioned this show and say the Catskills, we can instantly just start smiling oh and my laughing. God. <laughs> you know, I it lo- just goes back and it just works. Drunk Abe, I love Vacation Abe. <laughs> yeah, but I just think that from where Abe was in season two, even season three, to where he was in that moment mm-hmm. in season four, it showed a lot of 
lot of great progress Absolutely. on his end. And he may not still understand his daughter's comedy, you know, he may not like the jokes, but now it sounds like he's supportive of her. Yeah, and he's come around. Yeah. So that's all we can ask for. Do you think that by the end of this season, in her own way, Rose has starting to come around? Because we see some tension between her and uh, Miriam. Because Rose, she's been hired by Max Medina's rich, mm-hmm. homely family. And mm-hmm. she's worried that she can't do her job because of... Because Midge is doing what she does. At the burlesque show. And it's yeah. not so much the comedy. It's working Where? at the burlesque house. She, well, you know, keep in mind, she's always... She, she Rose is always, is always taking comedy and prostitution and it's just yeah. and it's literally seen them as the same thing that's not even trying to be funny that's but she does but she does i she her point about um that the uh <laughs> the medinas i don't remember the, the name in the, in the for the show mm-hmm. um but they're not going to see it that way they're going to hear burlesque and think that miriam is, is a dan- one is, of the is dancers a performer. exactly and i think in their world rose is a hundred percent correct you're probably right. And so you're absolutely I, right. But she's worried so much about the rep the reputation of herself and what yes. she's trying to do that she's still selfishly just not being supportive of her daughter. She's right. more concerned about how what her daughter does is going to how that's going to affect her reputation and her family's reputation as opposed to what it means for Miriam mm-hmm. growing in her career. But and, see, and then that argument ends with you know, basically Miriam being like, you want to succeed in what you're doing. Mm-hmm. How is that different than me? Yes. And that's how the argument ends. And it really doesn't come up again. Uh, there's, you know, there's the Alfie scene with the with the magician and he hypnotizes Rose yeah. to do what her daughter does. And for a hot second, I was like, Rose isn't going to start stripping because she still thinks comedy and stripping are the same. I was really worried for a hot second. Mm. So when Rose actually started in with the comedy bit, I was like, phew. So you so you <laughs> thought that because Rose was performing that set, she was also going to start taking off her clothes at the no. same time? No, oh, but, not performing the set because Rose oh. Rose's association. Oh, I see what you're saying. So because she sees this same thing, you thought she was going to go up there and start taking off yes. her clothes. Yep. Oh, okay. I got you. I so gotcha. when the fact that she has like this Rain Man memory and can remember Midge's set, uh, and <laughs> she did a really good job. That was so funny and so cringe. And then like the brothers all like sinking down in his, it, I loved it. Mm-hmm. But there was the confrontation outside and I barely call that a confrontation. That was more like Midge just being like, when the fuck did you come and see me? Yeah. But that ended fine. They went off and went out, I think, afterwards or whatever, and it didn't end in an argument. Mm -hmm. They didn't storm off in separate directions. Mm -hmm. Like they normally do. Like (laughs) they normally do. So in a weird way, it kind of feels like now that Rose was actually up there and doing what Miriam does, even though she doesn't have any recollection of it, is there a different, is there a new kind of appreciation or just a different kind of perspective that Rose maybe subconsciously has where by the end of the season, Rose doesn't seem to be like, she still seems to be fighting more for what she wants to do. The matchmaking thing Mm -hmm. and less concerned about Midge Mm -hmm. and what she's doing. Sure. Sure. So I'm starting to think that maybe Rose is going to slowly start coming around. I think she'll come around maybe a little bit more in five, but I, I still anticipate some really good, Paladino 
mother-daughter argument. Well, with season five being the last season, this is the only chance now that they have to have Rose come around to it. So maybe towards the last few episodes of season five is Mm -hmm. when we can expect to see that turnaround, I would expect. But I don't know. I feel like if Rose 100% supported what she did that would actually in my opinion it would be kind of out of character for her i was just thinking that i don't know how i would feel if by the end of the series rose has done a complete 180 yeah it'd be one thing to be like fine you're gonna do what you want to do regardless of me and my concerns and my world and my life and and accepting it on that kind of level versus acceptance and support Sure, sure. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, no, I don't see the Wiseman's going to Midge's shows anytime soon unless she gets out of the burlesque house and maybe something a little better. Yeah. But, you know, because she wasn't too thrilled to see Midge performing in Vegas as an opening act for Shy. She barely and even a, noticed that she was even there. Yeah. And that was so far in Midge's career, the, one of the biggest gigs that she's had. Yep. And if her mom still can't be happy for her then. Yeah. It would be weird for her to do that 180 and be like, I support you, I, I accept it, and I support you, and I'm going to and, sell your merch. But you also got to look at the relationship between Rose and her daughter, you know, just outside of their professional careers. They got a very unique mother-daughter relationship. They do. Rose really wants to treat Miriam, like, even now into her late 20s, or early 30s, whatever she is. She's still treating her like she is a child. And like you mentioned before, you know, and this is in like you're right, it's probably a generational thing where she wants to give off the impression to her neighbors and to their colleagues that they're the ones who bought the uh, bought the apartment and Mm -hmm. Miriam moved in with them. Mm -hmm. Now, again, we're talking early 1960s here. So, um, you know. Something about the children taking care of the parents probably still isn't as widely accepted at that time, at least at their ages. Mm -hmm. But still, like, she just doesn't seem to be very supportive of the idea of Miriam succeeding and doing well for herself and being able to do so well for herself that she could do good for others. Mm -hmm. And she's trying to do good by her parents and for her parents and... You know, I mean, Abe is Abe. Abe's going to always have Mm -hmm. (laughs) Abe's in another world with all of this. But Rose is so always so focused on what's happening in the now and how it's affecting her, Mm -hmm. you know. And I'm I do want to see her pull away from that a little bit in season five. But I again, if it's too far from what we have learned what from what where she's come from season one to season four, which honestly she hasn't really grown that much as a character for being that honest. Not really. Yeah. So but you're right. If they if the if she did a complete 180 and she just is now a completely supportive parent of everything that Miriam does and mm-hmm. it's just changed her whole perspective and outlook on life. I might actually end up being a little disappointed with that. Yeah. I'd like for her to come around and be accepting. Mm-hmm. But I don't feel like she needs to fully get on board with it, right. if that makes sense. I think she can still, I think she can be supportive of Miriam, mm-hmm. or more or less accepting, finally accepting what Miriam does, mm-hmm. but still throw in maybe a rose remark here and there. You know, maybe maybe it's more like 
you're wearing that on stage. Sure, sure. One of that those little quirks. Fine, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Those backhanded compliments that the Paladinos are really good at writing. I yeah. do love that because we... let's be honest. And the Gilmores were just like the top of the world for that those kind of backhanded compliments and that rich bitch like, snootiness. I would love to see it like where like now she's more open to going to see Miriam's shows, but like maybe before a show she'd be like, You're gonna you're not gonna tell that joke about that dick again, are mm-hmm. you? And she's gonna be like, No. She'd be like, Okay, that's good. <laughs> you know? And, and then Miriam Rose... tells the do- dick joke. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so And then Rose just being like and moving on. Exactly. That so she's being that supportive. Be yes. That's all that matters is we want to see her come around and be supportive. Yep. She doesn't have to like it, but that's okay because Times change. Exactly. So. so I think, so it'll be interesting to see where Rose ends up by the end of the series. Um, I think Abe's going to do just fine. I mean, Tony Shalhoub is a fucking god. And if it wouldn't kill him, I think we should dip him in gold and preserve him forever. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't want to kill Tony Shalhoub. So. <laughs> oh, that's good. Um, it's funny because when we, for every season we come back, you know, we, we always gush over Tony Shalhoub and over Abe, but you know, it's funny. His character just gets better and better and better. But we never have anything really truly different to say about him, but that's a good thing in his character's case because he's growing as a character, Mm -hmm. but he's growing in a way where it's like, I don't know. It's like you're watching your puppy grow from a little from from a puppy to a full blown dog, and they're still so so happy all the time oh, to I see still you. Love you. Oh, you're yeah. um, <laughs> <laughs> I think for me, one of the bigger kind of turnaround moments for Abe. Yeah. And I use that term. I'm going to use that term very loosely, for lack of a better phrase. But was when was the um obituary for Moish. Oh yeah. Wasn't that sweet? Oh my God. Yeah. I love that. And it was, and him trying to find someone to write the obituary, even though Moish hadn't died, even at this point, Moish is still in a coma and Abe is preparing for the worst. And so he wants the guy that wrote Einstein's or surely wants the guy who wrote Einstein's (laughs) obit to write (laughs) Moish's. And so Abe is doing everything he can to find someone, uh, someone reputable, to write Moish's obituary, a man who has not died yet. And that entire time, so he gets Digger to call his friend over at the Washington Post, mm-hmm. which that ended up in a large yelling match, which was really funny. To Oh, yeah, because he like slept with about, his wife or something like yep, that. And he, and he owes him like $300 also yeah. or something. But it was so fucking adorable the way Abe was all... Thirteen Jews! Tell them about the thirteen Jews! You can't forget about the thirteen Jews! And all I could think was, every time he said thirteen Jews, I went back to season one. Thirteen Jews! (laughs) (laughs) So I thought that was a really interesting parallel to Moish's story about the thirteen Jews and just seeing where Abe has come along with it. Here, basically, family is on the brink of death, and now... He's always known how important that story was, but yeah. it's like he's heard it a hundred thousand exactly. times. But now the world needs to know. And, and that's the th- and that's what I love about that relationship. So, you know, you know that the Weissmans and the Maisels, as different as they as they are as people, they're family, and they actually really do love each other. Mm-hmm. Shirley is probably the biggest annoyance 
or in the world and gets under Rose's skin more than (laughs) I got peanut butter I got peanut butter and jelly I got chicken (laughs) oh Oh, Shirley she's so great Uh, what was I so obnoxious I love it but what I took from that scene when Moish is basically going over what or uh, I'm sorry what Abe wrote for Moish's obituary in the end, when everybody's walking out of the room and they just have that look at each other mm-hmm. and Moish just looks at him and he puts his hand on his heart and he says, thank you. You yep. know, he just kind of, you know, mouths it. I truly believe that those two men, as much as they bicker with each other and probably annoy each other and have God knows how much money they owe one another. <laughs> I think they are truly best friends. Absolutely. They are like those two aren't even just like. They're not even just like brothers through their children getting married. They probably feel like they are true family, mm-hmm. and I, I got to give it up to the to to the Palandinos on how they wrote those two men and how they have tightened their relationship through four seasons, mm-hmm. and at the same time made it just seem so off the wall. Yeah. You know? Well, and again. You know, we go back to the cat skills and Abe's reaction to <laughs> the elder measles showing up at oh. the cat skills. And Moish kind of following him around that first, you know, mm-hmm. while they're there. Yeah. And Abe's look on his face. And now he, and now in this season, he's about to lose probably one of his best friends. Yeah. And he loses it. And it's so fucking sweet. And I loved, I love that little exchange that those two had in the hospital. Because yeah. everyone else was like, all right, great. He's not dead. So we're going to go get some shitty hospital coffee. Yeah. And yeah, Moish and Abe, they just <laughs> had that moment. And oh yeah, when they first get to the hospital and Miriam tries to send get Abe to go to get, get the get coffee. coffee but you said that, that's the first where my brain went. I almost forgot about that. It because was like, good it was like on nobody Miriam. wants coffee. He's like, why am I going to get the coffee then? It's like, it's just something for you to do. <laughs> yeah. Just to get out of the room. So when Abe goes chaotic. into full blown panic mode, like he's uncontrollable. So he needs to be treated like a child and be distracted. Oh, okay. Since we're speaking about Abe and listening skills. Yeah. So we get Jason Alexander back this season Asher, for a yeah. little Asher for yeah. a little bit. And then we find out that Asher and Rose had a thing. Mm-hmm. And even though Rose says that she's told Abe 20 times, now Abe acts like this is the first time he's ever heard about it and ex- blows up his relationship with Asher because now he's like freshly mad about it. Yeah. He, it, that, I didn't like that too much about Abe. Like I didn't find that to be out of character for him. But I didn't like the fact that they they showed a jealous side of Abe, you know? I didn't mind the um, jealous side so much, but, it, you know, I, maybe they were just trying to make a joke about how, you know, throughout the series, Abe doesn't listen. How many times has Abe been told something and he's yeah. going to act like it's he's never heard of it? I mean, when when when, when, Ro- when Rose told him and uh, that he was that she was moving to Paris and he was just like, "Lamb is good." Exactly. You know? Yeah. You know, so now it's like, okay, so this has been going on for however many cuz Rose said she's like, "Oh, I, it took 20 times." And and just retelling the story to Miriam, mm-hmm. "Oh, it took 20 times but it finally sunk in." Mm-hmm. And then we find out that not for Abe. So I'm just kind of like, while it was great to see Jason Alexander back, it did make me a little sad that it ended in a fight and that we probably won't get him again next season. That is true. There, there is that possibility. And so then I couldn't help but wonder if this fight, this rift was so (laughs) Jason can go off and do other things. And who knows? He could still come back for an episode or two. They could, they could make up, 
whatever, and that'd be great. But I couldn't help but wonder if there's a reason why we're not going to maybe, why these two are having a fight. And after all these years of being, of those two being best friends and Mm -hmm. respectful of each other. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden Asher's like, I have a great idea for a play. And it's, you get the sense that it's, this whole messy situation well, with the wise But let's face it, man. It pulled a real bitch move on Asher when they were being interviewed by the FBI agent. He totally threw him under the bus. <laughs> yeah. I was just like, come he on, totally Abe. Like, it I was, love petty Abe. Oh, my God. <laughs> yes. So we got drunk Abe. We got frantic Abe. We got petty Abe. And what's funny oh. is every version of Abe is Abe. Is, that is totally yeah. in character with him. And yes, he does strike me as the petty type. Absolutely. So petty. Oh my God. So, I mean, you could see it when he was in, like, like this wasn't a petty moment, but you could kind of see like, it's just kind of part of who he is. Like when that interview with Benjamin in season two or three, mm, season mm-hmm. three, when he's saying if he's good enough for Miriam, yep, yep. just the way, you know, his tone of voice yeah. changes, you know, petty, when he gets very protective. serious, he 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 talks more. He has a, d- a deeper tone. And yeah. He he's very, you know, shoulders up. You know, push back a little bit. Yep. You know, asserting his alpha maleness. And that's what I felt like I was getting out of that out of that scene with uh, Jason Alexander and the FBI agent. Completely. Oh, absolutely. And I lo- oh I forget his name, but I love that we at least got that one scene with their lawyer. I love the lawyer. Oh, <gasps> oh yes. Yeah. Who was, oh, uh, I didn't look up who the lawyer was. I always forget what his name is, but when he was like, you should probably be writing this down. He's like, you don't need to be writing this yeah. down. You don't need a pen, yeah. <laughs> you don't need a pen. I love, oh, so once again, Tony Shalhoub can do it all. You know, we started this little section as, what He's else so can talented, we say? isn't he? He's so we're just going to gush and be like, just, you know. I feel like every time else. we do a Maisel recording, about a good 30 minutes of it is just, <laughs> Rich, just gushing over Tony Shalhoub. And you know what? And... For all the goods and bads of this series, I am forever thankful that I've got Tony Shalhoub back in my life through it. Because I never oh, yeah. got into Monk, but I was always very happy for his success with that series. Yeah. So it's been since Wings for me, really. I mean, other than wherever he might have popped up in other TV shows and movies as like a one-off character or something. I can't even think of anything off the top of my head, but he's had to have popped up into something. 13 Ghosts. He was in 13 Ghosts. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. right. Dadoy. Okay, so... He goes from Antonio and Wings to the dad and 13 Ghosts, mm-hmm. and now he's a Boisman. And this, honestly, with the career that this man has had, I don't, I've watched some Monk, I haven't watched all Monk, but I don't know which role he was born to play more, Abe Weisman or Monk. <laughs> They're, he's one or the other, maybe both. But, so basically yeah. what we're saying is that Hollywood studios need to love and appreciate Tony Shalhoub more when Maisel is done. Hopefully he will get maybe his own starring role in something or just continues to work and be on our TV screen. Yeah. Because that man is a fucking joy to watch. He is. So. I guess <sighs> ah. With a mouthful of Christ. Oh, Abe, we love you. <laughs> we love you, Abe. <laughs> and one more time. It's not a knee-jerk reaction. I heard your offer and instantly knew it was stupid. <laughs> that definitely sounds like something he would say to his daughter. <laughs> I have no doubt about it. I don't remember the scene, but I have no doubt it was said to Miriam. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> All right. Well, let's see. So we've got the Weissmans. We covered um, the Elder Mazels a little bit and Moisha's heart attack. We don't get a whole lot else with them. That's fine. They've always been secondary characters. Shirley's still Shirley. 
We never have a lot to say about Shirley because she never changes. No. And you know what? And that's okay because I love her as she is. I do too. was, if I didn't like the character, she might not come up at all. (laughs) That's very true. That's very true. um, But you know what? She is so funny though. And the actress, again, don't know her real name. I should really look those up. I'm sure you have it somewhere. I happen to have it. Her name is uh, Carolyn... Never mind. I can't read my handwriting. Okay. (laughs) But it's Carolyn something. Don't worry. I take all these notes and I barely read even a a line that I write because I can barely read what I I wrote. (laughs) Like, it looks like Carolyn Aaron. Like how you would spell the masculine Aaron. Okay. Aaron. Okay. Well, she is so brilliant, though. Um, I guess I'll just take the moment to say, even though her character, I feel like, doesn't develop so much you still have to appreciate Shirley and how Carolyn portrays this character and one it is Carolyn Aaron oh it is Carolyn Aaron okay sweet I can can read my handwriting and you know what scene I loved with her more than anything in this season oh all right I'll let you guess uh, oh do you want me to say it no I I was gonna guess all right go ahead her and Abe no what but you're talking about the heart-to-heart they had Mm -hmm. that was very sweet I will give that to you I will be here for you but I'm talking about a true Shirley scene like one hundred percent Shirley all the way. Um. Oh my God! Setting Joel up with a pregnant woman. That's a good one too. <laughs> the scene I, the scene for me doesn't even give her a speaking line. She's not even on camera for more than a second. It's when her and May are in the hospital together playing mahjong, <gasps> yes. and May comes out to Joel and needs more money because she's being sharked by Shirley. Yeah, and, and I was Joel's just like, like, "You don't have to let her win." She's like, "I'm not." Exactly, and, then and how I sweet love that. But when May panics and doesn't, because at this point, you know the the elder Mazels don't know about May. This they the, think she's just a hospital worker at this they point. They think the hospital hires people to play mahjong. And I'm just yeah. like, well, at least thank you for not just like, <laughs> never mind. I won't say it. But I was just like, that's so cute that fucking, of course, they would think that. Yeah, yeah. And then when they're in the hospital room after Moish has woken up and May gives an opinion and Abe's like, you work here. <laughs> like, basically, you don't, what do you, you, you don't get a say in this. Yeah. You just work here. Uh. <laughs> And I was like, oh, shit, they all bought it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and she was happy that they did. She May is so... I I get why she's so nervous to mm-hmm. meet Joel's parents uh, and to tell them, you know, for them to find... Well, now... now Moish knows, but you know, I, I, I totally, I totally get it. You mm-hmm. know, I mean, we're talking about still early 1960s, you know, you know, Asian Americans are still being v- very discriminated against mm-hmm. at this time. Luckily the Weissmans and the Maisels are not those kind of people, but still, I mean, she has her, she's, she has her concerns and rightfully so. Yeah. You know, and, uh, now the fact that she's having his hit, having his kid that Joel's kid. Yeah. Yeah. Joel's kid that, that, that frightens her, you know, mm-hmm. she's going to be, she's still, she's still in medical school, you know, in med school. And, um, she doesn't want to, you could tell she doesn't want to have anything prevent her from, from steering off the path that she's up, that she's right. been on. Right. But at the same time, you can tell she is really falling head over heels for Joel, despite what her family may have said about it. The, the, what has she said? Like, the, she was like, do you really want to learn Chinese and hear the things that my parents have had to say about you? Mm-hmm. Or whatever. She, sorry, that she never said they were her parents. Right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Um, but I think 
I think that May is going to play an important role in the upcoming season um, with the relationship between, you know, Shirley, Miriam, and uh, uh, um, Moish. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I think we're going to see her give half the child in the next season. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think we kind of have to. That has to happen now. I guess. It depends what kind of time jump we get. Because uh, uh-huh. this season is just, it's just, it's Right after the whole shy ball right, thing. Right, so like it's literally it. right after. Yeah, it. It's like days, weeks, yeah, yeah, and on. So yeah, but I don't know. I mean, I would love to see her become part of the family, mm-hmm. the whole clan. You yeah. know, I would love that. And that heart, that conversation though, that her and Miriam have in the hospital, mm-hmm. where Miriam says to her when she's trying to make the arrangements about, you know, I don't want my kids calling you mom. She's like, I don't want that either. And be like, well, what about when you're bathing them? She's like, why would they be bathing them? I love that. That was so fucking hilarious because May has no idea that that Joel has to like quote fulfill these duties now and marry feels like her they have to get exactly married. Exactly, yeah. fill those societal obligations right. that didn't even cross May's and mind. We got, and we got to think May is probably more progressive than Miriam is in some ways. Maybe. Okay. I, I, I think Maybe. in certain ways she, she is. They come from two completely different worlds, but I feel like May is, even though we, despite the type of comedy that Miriam performs, I believe that May is a little more, a little more f- open-minded and a little more f- Free, go, you know, a little more outgoing than I maybe think I Miriam see what might you're be. Saying because I feel like so Miriam, her whole life has been about you know being pretty, being thin, structure, order, structure, order, getting married, and doing all these societal things that these women. I don't know why I just air quoted women, but <laughs> <laughs> women are quote supposed to do to be happy and f- and fulfilled. Yeah. I don't feel like May was ever put into that kind of position and raised to have those kind of beliefs. I think she's more free thinking. So she doesn't feel like she has to have a man or have to be tied down. Whereas Miriam's only recently discovered this when Joel blew up, when Joel left and everything. Miriam's like, you know what? I'm done with men. Men ruin my life. I mean, that's been in her bits, her comedy stand up a couple of times. So, Miriam's more coming around to this concept that women don't need men to succeed. Whereas I think May, there's a good chance that May was raised to always think that you don't need a man to succeed. Exactly. You need to work hard. I feel like she's got a lot more of that. And she's Asian. She's going to be a doctor. So she's got those kind of, those stereotypical pressures of being successful for your family, right. not for a man. Exactly. Not being being a breeder for a man. And when Miriam told her the reason why this conversation basically is happening between us is because she's under the impression her and Joel are going to be getting married. Mm-hmm. The look on May's face exactly. right after that said it all. Yep. You know? I was kind of worried that that was maybe going to scare May away. And I didn't mean to rhyme, but it's her name. Um but then Miriam comes back, you know, because she gets a call from Boise from the burlesque show. Like, you got to get down here and do your show. Miriam's like, no, I'm needed here. She thinks that Joel needs her. And she oh, has sure. to be there for Joel. So yeah, when she yeah. comes, gets off that phone and comes around the corner, we see May comforting Joel. I was I was a little worried that because of the look on May's face that May wasn't going to be in that scene exactly. Oh, and maybe Joel would be sitting alone on that bench or, or something. Or oh. just it just you know yeah. yeah. But yeah, sure. we I think we see that this is Joel and May are gonna 
hopefully keep going strong. I hope so. I think they're good for each other. I think they're great. I think they're so funny and they're so adorable. And I love Joel to pieces. And I really like, oh, he's learning Mandarin. He's trying to learn Mandarin. I think that's so fucking sweet. But that earlier in the season, him and May have a kind of a, a quick argument as she's leaving the apartment. And as she's going down the stairs, he's like, I know where you live. No, you don't. No, I don't. Fuck. <laughs> God, so, like, like he's been with her for for months now at this point, yet she's still a big mystery to him, mm-hmm. you know? So, but I love that. I do. And that's part of May's charm, I yeah. think. So I, I don't really have much more to say about May aside from mm-hmm. that, from this season, but I really felt like in this season, she grew a little more. We got to know her a little better. Now she is in this really structured storyline with mm-hmm. Joel that can't just be used as like a side plot. Like right. this is going to impact the family as a whole. Yep. So I'm interested to see where that goes. I think they'll bring it in because, oh my God, Shirley with another grandbaby. You know how loud she's going to be? Loud, happy, like happy loud? Yeah. Oh, one other thing I want to mention about that. It just because I thought this was great. I'm sorry. Was that episode eight when this all happened? I think so. I think it was. I took a note. If I can't find it, I'll try to remember as best as I can. I don't think i'm gonna find it okay whatever it's fine <laughs> so one moment i loved is a may moment without may in the scene is when moish comes home and you know oh, they bring him yeah. home from the hospital yeah. and i kept love first off i love when joel's like a little slower dad a little slower he's like you know if i went any slower i wouldn't even be walking yep you know <laughs> but i loved when him and his, him and his son just sat down on the couch or bed together whatever it was bed. the bed and he was like you know, I don't care that she's Chinese. Mm-hmm. I don't care that she's, <laughs> you know, he's like, you know, he's like, I'm a little surprised to see here she's pregnant, but he's like, but you've done been down this road before. It's like you got two, what do you say? Something like two kids in a zipper? Yeah. 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 He's like, yeah. <laughs> total, total, total moist thing to say right there. Total moist thing. But I loved that he said in the end, even though he doesn't care and he's, he's happy for a son. Just make sure by the time you introduce her to your mother that she's Jewish. Oh, I know. <laughs> I was just like, I, oh my God, because oh Shirley God. would About have plus. a heart attack. Yes, because I was like, that's perfect. Mm-hmm. That is, I could 100% see the elder Maisels being like, yeah, that's fine that she's Chinese, but she's not Jewish. Oh, he's here. It is. I found it. He said, he said, he says to Joel, he says to Joel that she must be Jewish by the time she finds out she's pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, how long does it take to be confirmed as it? Like, cause there's to like, be converted schooling. into Judaism takes a long yeah. time. So I'm like, she, is it going to be less than like three months? Cause she's going to start showing in a few months. I mean, look at, uh, <laughs> look, 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 look at her brother's, uh, is her, her brother's wife, you know, she converted for him and mm-hmm. she was, go, she, she had to go through all sorts of, uh, all sorts of schooling and classes and yeah, getting... but she also took it to the next level and oh, she did gosh. like all the fasting <laughs> things that like <laughs> even the wise men's and the elder Maisels didn't yeah. do. Yeah. They would know? just be like, I'm not going to do that. Yeah. <laughs> it's so. like, that's stupid. I'm not doing that. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll see. I don't know. I don't. I don't know how I would feel about May converting. Converting just because again, I like don't Rose, see it happening. I don't think it goes along with her character. Not at all. I do not see that happening. If they do, I will be so disappointed. I think if they do, we need to be present for all those conversations and arguments between May and Joel 
to see where see May... why she decided to exactly. get him to do it. Yeah. Exactly. We can't just jump into next season into their storyline and she's and she's already being converted. In Jew, Jew, Jew yeah. School. Jewish Jewish Jew school. Jew school. Juice. No, wait, what? She's I'm getting juiced. <laughs> Gross. All right. Well, we ended up saying a lot more with the elder Mazels because we also lumped in Joel and, and May. Right. So I I just, I love them all. Yeah. Um, Let's double back a little bit back to Susie and hit up her side characters of Sophie Lennon. Oh, Sophie. And um, we can touch up on Alfie and then we'll hit sure. up our other side characters. Okay. And that'll kind of get us towards the end <laughs> of this. So, Sophie fucking Lennon. <laughs> Sophie fucking Lennon. <laughs> what did you think of Sophie this season? We got a little bit more Sophie oh. than I thought we were going to get, to be honest. Um, Actually, me too. Um, Honestly, the first episode or two was it when uh Susie went to go visit her in the uh in the hospital mm-hmm. I actually thought that was the only time we were going to see Sophie the whole yeah. season I wasn't expecting her to see, see her any more than that uh Lucille fucking ball is the thing you know what I mean <laughs> if you've seen it then you know yeah um but Sophie <sighs> god I have opinions I just don't know how to express them She's still Sophie. Sophie is still Sophie. She's bitter. She's heartless. She thinks that she can just buy her way into anything. And she still thinks that she's America's trash-talking sweetheart, you know? She thinks that people will forget and forgive. And she thinks that she can basically, in my opinion, from what I got from it, I think she feels like she can kind of buy Susie. With all the extravagant gifts she's been giving her. And Susie fucking hates it. Mm -hmm. But Sophie has never had anybody work for her like Susie did. Yeah. And I think she appreciates that. But she doesn't know how to express that appreciation any more than by mothering her with gifts and money. Exactly. And Susie is not that person. You know? Yeah, she turned down that Cadillac. That must have been hard. Yeah, yeah, it must have been. But I, I really think that she um, she didn't grow, but which is good for her character. She did not grow as a character. We had a moment where we thought mm-hmm. she was over the bitterness and she was willing to move on because she had this new opportunity with the Gordon Ford show. Uh, or not Gordon Ford, I'm sorry, uh, the game the show. Yeah, the game yeah, show that she was hosting, show, yeah. yeah. Uh, same network, I think, though. Where she asked Miriam to come and be her opening act, mm-hmm. you know, and petty differences aside, it's not just women looking out for women. It's comedians looking out for comedians, mm-hmm. you know, she, it seemed like she wanted to help. And I, that I seen, I think for a hot second she did, but she was not ready for Midge to be funnier no, than her. No, she was not. And it, then we see the pettiness. That's the thing. When Miriam was getting the laughs she was getting... It got it ate Sophie up on the inside, and oh. she just remembered right there why she doesn't like mm-hmm. Miriam. You could see the instant regret in her asking Miriam to do this, and what does she do? She has to come on stage and show her up. Yep. And then the back and forth bickering, oh my God. which you was just it. genius. What a great, great scene though, that it. that was, and I love that they were interviewing people from simultaneously in the uh, uh, in the audience, <laughs> and one of the guys was from Milwaukee. <laughs> Morty from Milwaukee. Morty from Milwaukee. I wrote that down. It was so good to see that this relationship is likely never going to get tamed. Mm-hmm. It's always going to be like that. 
But you know what? I like that. Mm-hmm. I love that they're they're each other's mortal enemies or whatever. Like nemesis. Yeah. So I don't know. Um, I can't expect much different from Sophie Lennon. Mm-mm. And I don't think we're going to get anything different, but and I that's would. That's okay. And if you notice a theme here, as in a, we're approaching the final season of this show, and now we're starting to think what's going to happen with these characters. You know, how are we going to remember them for the rest of our lives after this last season? You know? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, even for someone like Sophie Lennon, you know, the Paladinos, they they have some work ahead of them because these are great characters that they've written for better or worse how the character actually is. Mm-hmm. We've come to love them and I want to remember them, but I don't want them to go out on a sour note somehow. Mm-hmm. That's why I don't want to see any characters make any true 180s. Sure. You know, that's, and I feel that way for Sophie too. I think, um, I think for me, I, I agree, you know, as we said, like with Rose to do a, just a 180 would be really weird and out of character. But I think... Like we said with May, I think if we see that journey and we're a part of that and part of those conversations, I maybe accept be a little bit more accepting of it. But I like Sophie as terrible as she is. Yeah. Uh, I. <laughs> she doesn't know how elevators work. She yes. Have oh you ever God. taken a cab? Her whole I just cluelessness. To, it's like I had to raise my arm. Oh my God. <laughs> and then they're sitting down at, in the diner, having the meeting to get her on the Gordon Ford show to do her like yeah. kick off her apology tour kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, and she's like, have you ever hailed a cab? And I'm just like, oh, and Susie's just like, shut the fuck up, Sophie. Like, <laughs> I loved it. Even the fact that she was in the institution because of her, quote, like mental breakdown. Yeah. And we see her in the wheelchair, just dramatic as fuck about it. All in black, in a wheelchair. She's got the butler to like pull, push her away yeah. and shit. I'm just like. I started laughing. I was like, what the fuck, Sophie? And the fact that he was still with her, even when she was in the institution, mm-hmm. it's... Oh. Yeah. Just, it's... I I love and kind of hate the Sophie character, but I mostly love it because I love the way that Jane Lynch is playing her. Yeah. And it's really unfortunate because the day that our season three Mrs. Maisel episode came out, yeah. Jane Lynch had one of... And I, I haven't gone back to look to see if she was fucking around, if it was a bit or something. But it was so disheartening to see a tweet from her account saying, basically, people with podcasts, if you have a higher voice tone, to deep, to drop it down a couple of decibels to make it easier. on Like, no. If you don't like the sound of my voice, you don't have to listen to me. I am not going to change how I sound for listens, and you know, for downloads. I and I thought that was, I just felt like that was just such some internalized misogynism mm-hmm. that I think Jane Lynch needs to address if she hasn't already. Mm-hmm. Because to put that out there was so fucking disappointing. Did she say that specifically about podcasters yes. or female podcasters? I don't remember if it had, if it was specifically women podcasters or podcasters and I'd have to go back and look it. Look yeah, it up. I remember. But... I, I remember you sent me a message about that, and we were talking about it for a little bit. And yeah, it was it was very disheartening. I've just felt like you know. I mean, I'm only I'm a, I'm only a guest on a podcast. That you know, and I'm very very fortunate that you allowed me to come onto your show and express my opinions and have these conversations. But when you sent me that, 
I felt like that was a personal attack on people like you who go out of your way to, you know, entertain folks and people listen to you for the energy and they come to your show for that energy and for your opinions and for her to come and just kind of rain on, try to rain on the parade of people, especially like someone like you who, who hails her work, you know, it's just... I don't know. Yeah. It it was a very unfortunate thing to hear about and to read. And I, like you said, I really hope it wasn't taken. I hope she didn't mean it seriously. She wrote, I love women. I am a woman. Uh Our voices are higher than men's voices. Uh Women's voices can get into an annoying area if it gets too high. If you are doing a podcast, consider lowering your pitch a tad. If you think I'm being sexist about this, then I don't know what to do with you. I don't know what to do with you with that tweet, Jane Lynch, because that was a terrible thing to God, that just seems... And I retweeted it, and I was like, holy fuck, who wrote this, Sophie Lennon? (laughs) I was like, shit, are you... I was like, so... Like, are you just in character right now? Exactly. (laughs) You know? Oh, God. And I just... It killed me, because we praised the shit out of Jane Lynch in our season three. Every single single season. season we have. And... She's in uh, Only Murders in the Building, and she's great in that. And it's like, I don't think that's going to completely ruin how I feel about the actress or appreciate her work, but it definitely has put a bit of a stain on it. Yeah, I don't know. And so it's just, and and like you, I mean, I, I did take it personally. I don't know if my voice, where it falls in that annoying pitch range of hers that she has, but I'm sure there are people that are like, "Ooh, I don't like her voice. I think you sound incredible. Oh, thank you. <laughs> and you know what? I understand it because I have to edit hours upon hours of me talking <laughs> and I get it. Yeah. <laughs> but it just, it, it was such disheartening. Yeah. Well, aside from Jane Lynch going all <laughs> Sophie Lennon in real life, Sophie Lennon was yeah. a real, she was still real fun to watch. And again, just seeing that cluelessness of hers. And yeah. when the elevator door closes because Susie pushes the button. She's and she's like, just oh. like, oh, just like she's a fucking Disneyland. <laughs> oh, it's so funny. Dude, I wonder when the elevator door opened, when it got to the bottom level, if she even knew to walk off. Right? You know? She's like, oh God, how are you going to get to It's like, how do I get out of this thing now? <laughs> so, and then... I'm done with Sophie Lennon. I'm done with uh, Sophie Lennon. <laughs> all right. So let's hit up some of our, our some of our other side characters. Okay. Uh, we've already touched on Frankie and Nikki, so we're good there. But why don't why don't you tell me a bit more about Alfie and what What I didn't like? Yeah. <sighs> Alfie. Alfie. <laughs> I don't know how to truly express it. That's the thing. Something about Alfie's character. Not so much the actor, just the character right. to me did not fit in this universe. So first off. In episode one, where we meet Alfie at the bar, mm-hmm. that scene where he makes Susie like disappear into like the the picture that was in the bar wall of the forest, mm-hmm. and then you see like the deer and shit. What the fuck was that? I that was so out of touch with Mrs. Maisel, and I think this show in a whole like. It, I feel like that particular scene had nothing to do with the episode. It had nothing to do with the show. It was so well, left field. It was a precursor to the hypnotism. I suppose, but it it, it was just out there, in my opinion. <clears throat> I just didn't. I didn't feel like it fit in. Alfie is just very. Um, 
I don't know. He doesn't seem like the type of person that I feel like Susie would associate with. Like, you know who would have hated Alfie? Jackie. Jackie would have hated Alfie, in my opinion. Um, because he doesn't strike me as the guy who would like magicians. And I know that Susie, (laughs) Susie worked with Jackie for so long and based a lot of her opinions on what's considered true art and what's not through her time with him, Mm -hmm. which I actually, in a little bit, I want to touch up on him too, Mm -hmm. but I don't know from that episode to his when he got his gig where mm-hmm. he hypnotized Rose to when he was sitting in on Rose on a Susie's like bed eating all of the food out of Sophie's baskets and the conversation he was having with the new comedian I was it like Jimmy or something it was like Jimmy or James James yeah. it was a J name just that every time Alfie talked I wanted to mute my TV <laughs> I just didn't like his character interesting and I'm so sorry I wish I could. I really wish I could go on more and give you more detailed explanations about this, but I felt like every scene he was in, he ruined that episode a little more. Wow. And I'm so sorry if you ever hear this, dude. I really am. (laughs) I have nothing against you as a person. I'm sure you're an amazing actor, but I just don't feel like this was the right show for this character. Personal opinion, of course. I know I can tell in your face you're probably all about Alfie, and I can't wait to hear your opinion because there's been plenty of times where you've swayed my opinion. So tell me what you think of Alfie. I loved Alfie. Saw it coming. (laughs) (laughs) Saw that coming. I have a terrible tell, apparently. Uh, (laughs) Which, actually, I've been told in poker playing I have no tells. Oh. So it's been... It's been, let's see, 11, 12 years. How old's my kids? Been that long since I've sat and played poker. But uh, anyways, I, but apparently when it comes to TV shows and characters and someone says they don't like something I liked, apparently I have all the tells. But I did like Alfie. I completely understand what you're saying, though. But I felt like that's exactly what Susie needed to branch out and strike out on her own was someone that didn't fit in this, quote, universe of Mrs. Maisel. Okay. And not necessarily maybe someone she ever thought she would pick up as prospective talent to, to manage. Okay. She went and recruited him because she was mad at Midge for taking Midge for taking her to a lesbian bar yes. to try and get laid or find a partner, one night stand, whatever it was. Because Susie is very much focused on her career. She does not want any distractions. Right. You know? And so out of that argument in that moment, Susie leaves the lesbian bar and then goes to the local bar where Alfie is and was like, come on, you're coming with me. Mm-hmm. So she's classic Susie and like, I'm going to do what I want. Midge isn't going to be my only talent that I manage. Well, sure. I'm going to start striking <clears throat> out on my own. And what better challenge than this drunk schmuck from my local water and hole who Clearly Mm -hmm. got me and got me to buy him a drink. Yeah. So there's something there. You know, whereas when she saw James at the end of the season, because Dinah took her to wherever he was performing, you saw on Susie's face right away, the same face that Susie had when she first saw Midge going up and doing her unhinged Mm -hmm. divorced act or, you know, that, you know, Susie knows talent. Yeah. Especially comedic talent. Yeah. And for her to re- branch out and pick up Alfie, 
is not something that, no, we would expect her to do. But at the same time, it fits with Susie and doing what she wants to do. Do you really think so? I think so. See, I don't, she I'm, got I'm completely met, opposite on that. Because she does not want to be dependent on Midge because uh, one, sure. Midge, and this whole thing is kind of, I found really interesting between Midge and Susie is, you know, they have their, they kind of have their closure with Shy yeah. and that whole thing. And then Susie and Midge are taken into a back room about signing an NDA and oh, getting yeah, paid off. Oh yeah, that's right, that's right. And they keep, Hiking up the price. Mm -hmm. And Susie stands with Midge, even though it kills her every time they raise the price, the buy-off price, mm -hmm. that to say no. Yeah. Right? And I loved Midge's point that she promised shy she wouldn't say anything. Right. And that's who she's going to keep her word to. But at the same time, you could have helped out Susie. And I think this is part of maybe a little bit of like the rift between them. Because then Midge accepts the Sophie Lennon opening act. Even though Susie didn't want her to because of how pissed off yeah. they are at Sophie. Right. They think this is going to be a great opportunity. Yeah. And it poops in their face. Mm -hmm. And then what was the other one? Um, anyways, so this is, this is Susie going out and taking care of her shit on her own. She doesn't really have any any other talent to recruit right now except for this drunk magician schmuck at the local watering hole. That's where she first runs to, yeah. to pick up new talent, to branch out, to become more Susie Myers and Associates. So, have you noticed the pattern though, where where the the pattern where Susie finds her talent, the gaslight, the restaurant, the that uh, the, the the dingy bar, you know, mm -hmm. she she finds talent in low just. Uh, what most places, most people like would consider bars. to be obscene establishments, you know, yeah. I kind of like that about her. She, yeah. she's looking for unpolished acts, unpolished acts, not quite the next big thing. They'll yeah. turn into that eventually, but she's the place where people will just like kind of ignore. She mm -hmm. finds, she finds those that stand out. Mm -hmm. She has an eye for it. Mm -hmm. And I like that about Susie just don't like it about Alfie. <laughs> See, and I didn't mind Alfie. I thought he was kind of funny and kind of adorable. Very weird. His whole magician act, though, was kind of creepy. And I think that's just, I don't think he blinked a lot. I feel like that was his voice, And too. it was his voice and his the, delivery. The, but yes. if he's also doing, if he's also doing the hypnotism thing, yeah. he's all, you, I think he already has to kind of lull his audience yeah. a little bit. And then, you know, and then he hypnotizes. But didn't... And makes and maybe that helps with the audience to kind of buy into that whole magic of of the hypnotism. So there's another. So, so there's something else that happened though that um, this isn't so much Alfie's fault per se, but he was could directly involved with the scene. So when he's about when he just goes on stage to perform his act for the first time, he pulls out his little magic wand and then he like in the air he creates mm -hmm. these little like 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 mist smoke bubbles mm -hmm. where people can actually and and the camera is shot from both sides you see it from behind these smoke uh, mm -hmm. projections and in front and then he's creating these like what are the what would illusions, you call them yeah. illusions yeah that the audience are that it clearly everyone in the audience is seeing because Abe even points out in one of those little bubbles it looks like Rose yeah so that's another reason why I had a problem a small a bit of a problem with this season something like that 
using CGI basically to create magic, especially to project Rose in one of those little bubbles. It just seemed odd. It seemed out of place. I see. That's do- the evolution of the series. It start and from that talent perspective, and from where Susie wants to go. We start with comedy. We tried music. Now magic. Well, it's not so much the magic. It's about how they portrayed the magic on uh, on screen. I don't know if I'm if I'm if I'm explaining this the way that I want to. But did you, did you want like an actual magician doing? Not like a rabbit out of the hat, but you know. But in no, the hip- no, like a Justin Willem. He's a magician. He does. He has a series, uh, Magic for Humans. Uh-huh. So he's a magician comedian, and he's really really funny. And okay. He's really really good. I. It's a. What's it's his just, name? Justin Willem. Oh, okay. And he, I highly recommend the series. It's a nice quick watch. It's family, it doesn't worry about yeah, family okay. friendly, but yeah. it's, it's just, it's a nice serotonin boost. Okay. Well, cool. It's really Never funny. But I mean, I, so in a way, I guess I could have, I would have liked, I don't know if this actor has any magician skills. Uh-huh. Um, I didn't look, look him up or anything. Yeah. I kind of looked a little Ezra Miller-ish. <laughs> <laughs> I never thought about it, but yeah, I guess a little a bit. A little bit, yeah. but that's a whole, whole other podcast. That's it. Maybe, right maybe there. it's in the jawline. Maybe <laughs> or something in just like the facial structure, the darker hair. Maybe yeah, I don't sure, know. Sure, but I was, I guess, on one hand, I could have seen maybe going. They could have gone with more of like the comedy magician, but then again, you've already got the comedy. You already got components. the comic, right? Right. So, but they to would kind like... of go that other route of that creepy, yeah, creepy. And maybe that's another reason I wasn't big so fond on him. He was creepy to me a little bit. And like... he, I, I agree, he was creepy, but it wasn't enough to like. I, I, I found it appropriately creepy. It's not like stalker me. creepy. It's... No, but it was unsettling. Just. The way he was talking, and I swear to God, I don't think he blinked anytime we saw his face on yes, camera. Yes, <laughs> and he talked like this. I mean, I totally understand so, what you're saying. I don't know. And I'm not trying to, like, sway you on Alfie. I just, I didn't have a problem yeah. with dude, and... Yeah, but it's just also just with that one part in the, you know, when he's bringing up the little smoke bubbles, I just, for some reason, I just felt like that seemed very out of place for this show, that one, that, that, that just that whole, the way that whole entire scene was performed from Rose recreating the set to just the little tricks he was performing. I don't know. It didn't sit with me, hmm. but he's obviously going to come no. back. There's no, there's no, he's going to come back next season. How can he not? So he's got a whole nother season to work for, for me to work at, to work with. So maybe I'll come around on the, on the last season. We'll Maybe we'll, you'll we'll soften. Maybe you'll just, it, cause it takes a lot of energy to dislike or hate or whatnot. And it's kind of like with chilling adventures of Sabrina, how I eventually came around to, uh, Harvey, because by the end of the season series, I was just like, fucking Harvey. Oh, it's just too much to hate. <laughs> it's just so much hate. <laughs> He's fine. (laughs) (laughs) Love it. So, but I mean, you have valid points. You absolutely do. It did seem a little weird. It did seem a little off. But at the same time, I think that's exactly where Susie Myers and Associates needs to go. Is She needs to branch out and she needs to hit up some of these more, uh, not the norm, not what you would think of. And swing and a miss, swing and a home run. Yeah, kind sure. of thing. Just like, just like Lenny told Mid, told Midge, you need to work. You need to fail. Yeah. You need to work. You need to get fired. Yeah. You need to just keep moving forward. And yeah. I think this is Susie's way of keep moving forward without having any restrictions on herself. 
uh, other than maybe not fucking with Sophie Lennon no more. For sure. For but sure. <laughs> so that was that's that's really how I saw Alfie. And then when Dinah took her, took Susie to the to the diner, Dinah, diner, mm-hmm. and to see that last uh, comedian, I yep. swear his name's James, um, and she recruits him and everything, and that goes really well. I loved that. I love seeing Susie still branching out and kind of going more and where she knows she can succeed with this person because he's a comedian. Oh, sure. Sure. And so she can book him at the comedian place, at the at the comedy joints and everything. And the one real small exchange between James and Alfie when in that last episode when they're all in the office and Frankie and Nikki are there and the niece and nephew are there and the neighbors yelling from across the alleyway about the phone calls and Tony Bennett. Yeah. yeah. And, and this and that. And Alfie's getting on James's nerves and James James had a line, something like, You do know that if they get another chair, this relationship is over. <laughs> <laughs> Because <laughs> Alfie was driving him nuts. Yeah. So maybe with that too, it's a little could have been a little tongue in cheek to acknowledge that, like, no, Alfie doesn't really quote fit in this world yeah. that we have built. But he's just, if anything, there's just going to get another chair, so he's not going anywhere. That's funny. <laughs> but all right. Well, I was just curious as to any details of Alfie and. Sure, that that works. What did you think of Dinah? We I don't feel like we got a full feel for her though when we uh, this season, but I like her. I think she's a good fit for for I Susie. I thought she was a good fit from the moment that we met her in the hallway and the way that she knows how to handle uh, Susie, and you know she talks back and everything, which is exactly what Susie needs. Mm-hmm. The chaos that she brings in because of her niece and nephew seems to fit perfectly in that chaotic world of Midge and Susie. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, so here we go. We're bringing in a black character. <laughs> I did like the fact, though, that Dinah saw right through Susie the whole time. Yeah. And when she was like, yeah, there's been a bunch of robberies in the neighborhood lately. Let's just pack up your, mm-hmm. your family yep. photos yep. and all that. And then Dinah's like at the after the after they have dinner together, which, by the way, those chicken and waffles that I'm a sucker for chicken and waffles. I love it. And though the chicken waffles that Susie got at the restaurant look so good. Oh, my God. <laughs> And I watched it, I was like, dude, I want some so uh-huh. bad. But anyway, it's so like at the end when they're like going their separate ways, I was like, oh, so I can cut, I, mm-hmm. I should be there tomorrow. I should come in. Yeah. So I thought that and was then great. The, whole, the way they work out, like the timing and factoring in that, you know, Midge is always late and, you know, Susie wakes up late and all of this. And it gets very confusing time math, but she gets it. She gets it. She falls into that rhythm. She worked out a second line with the neighbor across the alleyway and the clothesline in yeah, the bucket. I thought that was funny. <laughs> so I hope we get more of her because, like I said, like without Shy Baldwin and his little entourage uh, for this season, we're back to a very, very pasty <laughs> cast and background. So it's – and you know what? And I will hand it to the Paladinos for this season – to, for not trying so hard where it felt like they were trying too hard. Yeah. You know what I mean? I'm just like, go back to what you do. And mm-hmm. that's writing really funny, quippy, rich white people dialogue. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, and then let's see. So I did. So yeah, Dinah. And then just real quick with Imogene slash Dodie. Oh, I love seeing Imogene being a stone cold bitch this season. And I loved her some this shots. season. The few times we got her, I thought she just lit she, up the screen. She, she was stole great. the scene. Yeah. yeah, and she's perfect for Abe and being his like part time. Uh, dictation. Oh, when she was when when she was at the paper for him mm-hmm. with him, and she was talking to the one girl who's there full time, and she's part time, mm-hmm. and they're just having that little bicker, and Imogene ended up coming out on top of that. I mm-hmm. loved it. I was like, oh, you get it, girl. Oh God, or even just the way she handled the Tupperware party and those ridiculous Tupperware. <gasps> oh party yeah, pants. like What did she say when Miriam had to leave the room? She's like, like, all right, all right ladies, girls. let's get down to brass tacks yeah, or something. Let's make some yeah. deals or something. Yeah, so, that was good. <laughs> I love seeing Imogene thriving and growing. Growing and just yeah, being we didn't more get a than... lot of Archie this season. And that's though. fine. He lost the money. Whatever. He a dope. Yeah, he 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 played his role <laughs> exactly. He's still he's still best friends with with Joel, and that's maybe all will all he ever really needs to be. But yeah, sure. I really like seeing Imogene, and you know she's going through her secretary classes and. Mm-hmm. Abe's timing her how many words per minute and all of this. I and thought I, that was so cute. I and then lo- she kept he just keeps calling her Dodie. And she just she's okay with it though. Yeah. She I think she's completely accepted it. Maybe just sees it as a nickname, even yeah. though he doesn't. That's maybe that's just how she's taking. Like, you know what? This is my nickname now. He doesn't know it, but that's how I'm looking at it. And it's like she's your daughter's best friend for how many years? <laughs> and you still don't know her name. Dodie. Love you, Abe. Um That's cute. And then Zelda. We got so much more Zelda. Yeah. Yeah, we season. got plenty of Zelda. Oh my god, the whole the, the whole thing with the refrigerator refrigerator light was amazing. Oh my god. <laughs> Nobody knew. Rose is like, there's a light in the refrigerator. Yeah. <laughs> How can you not teach your daughter about the refrigerator light? There's a light in there? <laughs> oh my god. So, and then yeah, the whole worrying about the fridge and the food's going bad. It's like, well, quit opening the goddamn door. <laughs> <laughs> Did you like the part? Because I love this. Did you like the part where when Miriam came home and found Sophie Lennon in her living room, uh, oh telling jokes to Zelda and the other, mm-hmm. her other like made friends? Yeah, I I thought that was great. Yeah, that was, <laughs> that was so cool. But yeah, so I loved, I love that we got more Zelda. At one point, it's like uh, uh, Susie's sad, so she's been staying with the, you know, because she's depressed because of because Jackie had died. Yeah, she can't stay in that apartment that she shared with Jackie. Completely understandable. And she, something like Zelda ended ended up snapping at Susie, and Susie's like, "Oh man, I made Zelda mad." <laughs> Like, that was oh. it for her. Like, fuck, nothing can get any worse. I've disappointed Zelda. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I did like that part, too, when uh, uh, Susie was staying with them. Because I love that when Susie was in her grief, um, she was uh, um, uh, staying up late watching TV. And she was, like, eating a sandwich and mm-hmm. drinking something, like yeah. a glass of water. And Zelda was staying there late. And Miriam's <gasps> just like... Plate? yeah. Yeah, she was like, why are you still here? She was like, because Mrs. Susie still has a plate plate in a glass. And I and, washed the plate in glass. <laughs> and, and yeah, and then she like made, a, but the best part about it is she made such a big deal about them saying they'll take care of it. Mm-hmm. She was just like, no. Oh, yeah, because she's like, would I go down to the club and I tell Joe? Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, such a great Zelda moment too. So, it really was. I really love that we got more of these side characters, these tertiary characters. Yeah. You know, we don't necessarily need giant arcs or for them to change who they are we love them how they are the way that just everything about them as is 
And so it's just been nice to get more of them. And that's Agreed. everyone from Nikki and Frankie to Zelda to Dodie to... <laughs> and lastly, let's hit up Boise and the Girls and the Burlesque Show. So what did you think of incorporating the burlesque aspect into the season for Midge to kind of hone her dirty act. I thought it was genius. I loved it. I, I loved, loved the it. burlesque. I I'm really not even did. gonna let you finish. I loved it too. But you know what? <laughs> I felt like that burlesque house was too big for its own good. It was it looked okay, for all the problems that it had, it still looked like a really nice theater. And let's face it, let's face it, those were some high production shows that they were putting on later on in the season. Oh, by the Oh, definitely by you the know? end. Yeah. I mean they what they they did the uh, uh, like uh, 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 what is it? Wizard of Oz. They did a Wizard of Oz themed yeah. show. They did that really cool one where it was like it was like all the different girls in like in it house. showed them in like yeah. a house but in different rooms. So and I didn't look it up, but I it felt like that was a single shot. Very much like Lenny yeah. and Midge's kind of moment last season sure. in the wherever they were. Oh, in the bar, yeah. Yes. Oh, in the restaurant bar, yeah. So yeah, because great. the way it felt like it really felt like it was like a drone. Yeah. Flying through the little kind of box rooms, like a dollhouse kind of thing with the different themes going on and just kind of giving each girl their moment. And it was shot beautifully. I loved all the burlesque numbers. I love that they weren't all size zeros. No, yeah. I love that we had a curvy burlesque dancer that was flexible and doing handstands Mm -hmm. and splits and all of that. I thought the numbers were a lot of fun. Very, like you said, kind of, you're kind of surprised at like how well done, how high end these acts are with their themes mm-hmm. for a shitty burle- illegal burlesque house. You see, that's the thing that I thought was so funny about it though, is they could afford to do all this, but yet they had to keep everything so hush hush because it wasn't a legal business. How do you keep a facility that large? Cause that was a gigantic theater burlesque house mm-hmm. that they were in drawing in, you know, tons of people once Miriam started really making herself known in that place. Did we ever see the outside any exterior shots of the building? I don't I don't think we did. So maybe it's way no, shittier looking so. on the outside. Maybe you're right. Oh, I didn't think about I never thought about that. You could be right. But I just from the second that Midge starts bossing Boise around about making sure things mm-hmm. don't fall on people's heads and mm-hmm. give them concussions and knock on the door. It was the little changes that she uh, suggested that started making the big differences. Yes. Like just like the sugar, the the sugar cups for so so they don't attract uh, don't attract bugs. Mm-hmm. You know, for their yep. coffee. You know, that made a difference in that for for a lot of them. And I don't little know little umbrellas, and then like oh. yeah the. What was it? Something that smelled... Oh, like they clean the bathrooms in Boise and the, by the end of the season, he's like, God, it smells so fucking nice yeah. or something like that. Like, but like he's accepting it all and I loved that. And you know what I really loved about the whole burlesque uh, 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 setting is I loved that everybody who went in there, maybe with the exception of Rose, <laughs> but everyone who went in there felt comfortable. Mm-hmm. Especially later on in the season when Midge started kind of, let's face it, she turned that place around. Oh, absolutely. Especially when she started, when word got out about the place and about this 
woman comedian who everyone is going gaga over mm-hmm. and now she's bringing in females into uh in, in, into the burlesque house which you know Boise has a big fucking problem with you uh, know yeah absolutely you at know, first but but you know but then there's that meeting with Boise they have like the big bouncer I, I, looking I suppose, dude and the, the and like, owner of the building yeah. maybe and the, the only person who's seen the positivity of all of this is like the owner the guy he's seen the money yep and that's all like, he gives a shit about and he's like you get those little fucking umbrellas <laughs> <laughs> you get those, you know, you get the feminine, you know, the tampon the, the machines. Tan, yeah, the, yeah, the feminine product machines, whatever then, he calls them. And then them. Midge was even like, because Boise called, he's like, I got the things. Because she's, Midge is at the hospital dealing with the whole moist situation yep. and everything. And Boise's like, you got to get down here. There's all these women to see your shows. I did all the things you wanted me to do. I cleaned the bathrooms. And God, they're so clean. They're beautiful. I got the... You know, the tampon dispensers. They didn't say tampon. And then Midge was like, the good one? He's like, yes, the good one. Like, he's all about it. And then when they're, uh, you know, so she comes and she does her kind of an act. And then she gets all sad and, you know, thinking about Moish and everything. But uh, even before all of that, as things are starting to progress at the burlesque show and it gets raided that one night. um, Because that was more, that was before the Moish thing, right? The raid? Yeah. Or did that happen? That was at- simultaneous. That was happening at the exact same time. Right. Because like Lenny had come to see her and right. then they got raided. So they start, they run out. Because that was the same night her and Lenny slept yes. together. Yep. Yeah. So she, so the place gets raided and she's, you know, and Boise's, oh God, he was so fucking adorable. He's trying his best to get the girls out. I think even as he's trying to rush through the backstage to clear everyone out, he still knocked on the door to make sure that the girl, as he's telling the make girls sure to that get they're out. Decent. Yeah. And, and then Midge was like, Boise, you got to come with me. And his line is, I'm fiddling on the Titanic. And I was just like, Boise, oh my God. You broke my, like, I love you so oh much right now. Oh my God. I didn't even, oh, you're going to hate <laughs> me for this, but I didn't even <laughs> realize he said that. He did. Oh, what a. Just right before. He goes from sleazebag to just like, yeah, oh, we love you. He's there collecting whatever That's a 180 paycheck. I'm okay with. Exactly. <laughs> so I, I could not believe how much I loved Boise by and the And you know, there's the two moments. Actually, actually, there's a whole bunch of moments i could probably talk about at the burlesque house that i loved uh but two other ones that i love is one when imogene comes to the burlesque house and she's backstage <laughs> just her interactions with the girls are fantastic once again dodie's still in the scene <laughs> absolutely but i think it's funny because what she's having these amazing conversations with these girls and then the one woman comes up with her top off and she's wearing the pasties and that just like you could tell that like for imogene's character she's like okay i'm gonna go over here now yep, I'm you good. know yep. that's just a little too much for me <laughs> So, Aww. but I, but I like that about her character. Bless um, and then lastly, there's, I don't, I wish I could remember how the, how the bit went, but when, uh, Miriam left her jokes with the other, with, with, with the girls <laughs> and there was the, and there was the larger woman who was telling them and she, she was reading it off just like, it's such, just like such a straight tone like this. And, and she botched the punchline. Yeah, it was she, just a pun. Yeah. She, yeah. She said cl- the clothed. clothed. Yes, yeah, because we're closed. Yeah, but clothed was yeah. the actual punchline, and it was line. funny because then there's the girl who had like the swan on her head, and it's just I like I think that says clothed, <laughs> and or oh no, she was the one who's like I don't get it. <laughs> so this, yeah, either way, those girls, and I like that they uh, the show gave them a yeah. little bit more screen time and so stuff. So that too. was good, but yeah, I thought it was, I thought I loved it. Um, mm-hmm. Now that it's been rated, will it come back? I don't know. Probably not, but I hope that some of those characters do come back yeah. for season five. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. So, all right. Well, I suppose we're going to go ahead and start wrapping this up. Stray bubbles. Last chance to bring up anything we missed. Quotes, scenes, episodes, mm-hmm. notes. What have you got, Eric? I have one very important one I want to bring up. Okay. And um, I think this is very important because, uh, in comparison to you, I am very still. I, I I'm new, but now familiar with the Palandinos world and mm-hmm. the characters they create. And I just want to say that I think it was beautifully done how they tributed Brian Tarantino. Yes. In this episode, yep. in episode in this season, in in uh, episode three called "Everything Is Belmore," it was emotional. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we saw it, it was based on. So for those who don't know, Brian Tarantino played Jackie, who I mentioned earlier in mm-hmm. today's show. And he was Bootsy in Gilmore Girls. Yep, he was Bootsy in Gilmore Girls. Him and Luke shared. They were just like months apart or like mm-hmm. minutes apart. And they mm-hmm. always had that rivalry of who was slightly older. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, I thought it was beautifully done how they... The show was tributing the was tributing the character, but I felt like there was more to it. That Absolutely. I feel like the Palandinos were tributing the man. Yes, um, I did too. And I don't know anything about Brian Tarantino's real life, not a thing. But I'm wondering when Susie was taking was going through, you know, as she would call it, his shit, mm-hmm. you know, and finding the military badges yeah. and the medals and the Bay and the Babe Ruth baseball. I'm wondering if. The Tarantino, oh, Tarantino's, Jesus Christ. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> no, not the Tarantinos. Sorry, the Palandinos. I'm wondering if they are taking r- real life things for Brian Tarantino's actual life and incorporating them in the show. Well, I don't know. Was he in the military? Did he have an autographed baseball by a Babe Ruth? I don't know, but I would love to think that maybe he did. And this was their way of saying thank you for being a friend. Yes. And (laughs) for being you. No, and you're right. That's probably the best way to put it. Thank you for being a friend, you know. Thank you for being a friend. Sorry, I can resist. Okay, I'm done. Jack can sing, (laughs) y'all, if you don't know. (laughs) But I, I completely agree. I, you know, at the beginning of this recording, and you mentioned, uh, the acting chops of Alex Borstein this season. I instantly thought of her eulogy for yeah. uh, for Jackie and the way that she hijacked someone else's someone else's funeral. funeral. Because you can't just say these things. You can't eulogize someone to an empty room. It's mm-hmm. it sucks. Yeah. So I I completely agree. I loved it. I also kind of wondered and kind of got a feeling that there was a lot more real world in these in this episode and in this scene yeah me too um and with this character then we may have realized now obviously okay so like with the babe ruth baseball could he have you know could brian tarantina have owned one absolutely and could they have corporate but could he have also owned something of just as of just as valuable right exactly you know and then you know changed for Whatever. But I I loved it. I thought it was done very, very well. It was a nice send-off to the character and to the actor. And they just, they did a good job, you know. And it kind of reminded me of when uh, Edward Herman had passed. And Mm, they kind of, Lorelai had her moment on her almost walkabout, saying goodbye to her father and stuff. So they, they, they're, I mean... All things aside, the Paladinos are amazing writers. They really, really are. Mm-hmm. And 
they can pack in so much and just in so many sentences and paragraphs that it was it was so well done. I loved it. Yeah, I have to agree. So, yeah, um, you know what? I'm sorry. I thought I just had the one straight bubble, but I just realized I, I do have two. Go for it. My other one is, uh, we, which I'm surprised we actually haven't touched up on this during this episode, was... The Broadway play that the uh, that the Weissmans and the Maisels uh, went to uh, oh, for the yeah, kid yeah. at the uh, uh, from from up at the Catskills, yep. and and just how that whole thing for Abe just blew up in front of him. Yes, you know? that was hilarious because then the way he was confronted at uh, at the bar mitzvah at the bar mitzvah later yeah. was fucking hilarious, mm-hmm. and also Abe's cape. Abe's cape, yes, Abe's and he was cape. so happy and proud of that he cape. He was twirling it. He, I remember uh, what was it? the kid who uh, whose play it was when he was talking. Abe he was like, he's like, you didn't wear your press hat. He's like, eh, it didn't go with the cape. <laughs> 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 I love that, and I also loved about that whole thing with like the uh, um. Uh, with the bar mitzvah, how Moish was oh, supposed yes. to like speak at the at their at, at this thing, and he had no idea who this kid was. Mm-hmm. So like for like an episode and a half, he's like struggling to remember who this kid is. And Shirley's just like, maybe you gave him an ice cream, and he never forgot it. He was like, why would I give a kid an ice cream? <laughs> a strange, yeah, it's like, exactly. Why would I? Yeah, yeah. So I, I no, I love. Okay, so I loved Abe and his cape, yeah. obviously. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I didn't really have it written down to bring up. I mean, I did have in my notes just the confrontation at the at the bar mitzvah, but otherwise it was just kind of, eh. Although it was incredibly embarrassing and cringy that someone actually passed the newspaper to Midge and then she reads the review. Yeah, I was like, Jewish people are silly. No, oh, <laughs> Jewish people. Oh, yes. But when Midge was unpacking after, you know, getting back into her apartment and she finds the brisket casserole dish. Oh, yeah. The brisket dish. Yeah. Uh, what does she call memories. it? Does she call it old friend or something, something like that? Something like that, yeah. yeah. Oh, and then how her, how between between uh, Imogene, Rose, Rose and Zelda, Zelda all rearranging the kitchen. First, everything's too sh- too low because cause of Dodie. Yeah. And then everything's too high because of Rose. Yep. And now Zelda has to fix it all. Yep. Because Love. Zelda's going to be oh, the only one who's really right? going through those cupboards. Let's Don't be fa- let's face away. it. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. But yeah, I guess those are really my only stray bubbles. Okay. I I don't have much more. I think I've hit on everything. Well, during Midge's kind of almost sad bit, when she's still worrying about Moish, she talks about, you know, the doctors and the nurses, you know, kind of men versus yeah. women yeah, and, yeah. and all of that. But um, 100% team nurses, always and forever. Mm-hmm. Doctors are great and everything, but uh, um, Midge is absolutely right. The nurses are are the ones that are holding you while you cry. They're not the ones rushing out of the room and signing. The the, yeah, yeah, right, signing paperwork and stuff. Right, right. So, oh, Abe invents the VCR, just in conversation. <laughs> oh, if there was a way you could pause it and rewind it. <laughs> That's funny. So, oh, and Joel had a line that soup is a scam, which I thought soup was is real, a scam. <laughs> which I thought was really funny because here in the Midwest we have now entered soup season. <laughs> Dude, we're making chili tomorrow. <clears throat> I'm so excited for soup. Season. And chili is Midwest soup. I don't care what anyone it says. It is. It's a 
I mean, you, you got all your different soups. You got your thick soups, your thin soups, your white chilies, your red chilies. You know, it's funny. We actually had soup for dinner last night with uh, grilled cheese sandwiches. Oh, nice. Classic. That was good. Yeah, I had soup the other day. I mean, it was just a can, but it was what I had and what I had for lunch at, at work. And I was like, soup season. Were you full afterwards? From... Was Joel right? <laughs> all right. Well, here's the situation at work. Because I heated, I warmed up my soup, and then I got busy and helping people came in and got library cards. Yeah. And so by the time I got to my soup, it was already nice and cool, and my shift was ending, and I basically just drank it. So because I ate it so fast, yes, I was full. <laughs> Here you go. Fair enough. But I am also capable, when it's not just a can of soup, of eating enough soup until I am full and uncomfortable. Plus, you got to have a carb in there somewhere. Fair enough. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> All right. Well, that'll do it for the Stray Bubbles. And now moving on to the... Super fun part. I mean, all of this is super fun, but let's be honest. This is the part. This is what we're all dreads, here for. I mean, folks. looks forward to is the six degrees of Nicolas Cage, Woo. the marvelous Mrs. Maisel season four Woo-hoo-hoo. edition. Oh wait, one more thing. Yeah. Yes, John Motherfucking Waters appears oh, yeah. in this season. Yeah. And it's short and brief, and he thinks Midge is a lesbian yep. because she's looking for all these bars, and the way she's going about it is really embarrassing and just hard to watch and cringy, but. I just thank you, John Waters, for gracing. And you did a whole show about John Waters, didn't you? I sure did. Yeah. Thank you for reminding me to promote my own shit. Uh, (laughs) Yes, I actually did an episode on John Waters with my podcast, Brain Twin Aaron, from over there at uh, It's a Fandom Thing. And then she had a John Waters episode that I then was on for that. So um, I love, love him. I love his movies. Even the trash trilogy, even though I don't don't get excited about sitting down and rewatching any of them, um, they are what they are. They have earned their place. A couple of them are even a part of the Criterion Collection, which I think is a pretty big fucking deal. So it's like a preservation kind of thing, mm-hmm. you know, like oh these are these are important movies for various reasons. Mm-hmm. The fact that any part of the trash trilogy is in the Criterion Collection should tell you everything you need to know about John Waters and his contributions to entertainment and everything that John Waters and Divine brought with them mm. uh, for us. Cool. So, I love you, John Waters. <laughs> All right. Six Degrees of Nicolas Cage with the Marvelous Mrs. Maisel Season 4 edition. So, we will get to an, to Nicolas Cage in Six Steps or Less. And, Eric, how did you do? I am sad to say that this is my most disappointing Six Degrees of Nicolas Cage I have ever done. Mm. So, well, I mean, I'm finding it difficult to find connections with him and the people in this show or the people working, the talent behind the scenes. I don't know why. I, I saw, um, I found a very easy one, but I, and, and it is a six degrees. I just don't know how well connected they were when filming this, but okay. it, it's what I got. So, uh, it has to do with our, our favorite, our favorite father, Tony Shalhoub. Tony Shalhoub. We love Abe. Uh, so uh, in 1992, uh, Nicolas Cage starred in a film called Honeymoon in Vegas. And he played uh, the lead role of Jack Singer in this movie. And one of his co-stars in this film happened to be Tony Shalhoub. Oh, nice. Yeah. And Tony Shalhoub played a character named Buddy Walker. That is actually about all I got on it. I didn't really write to too much more about that. So my to... Nicholas, so my Nicholas Cage six degrees was only in one, only one step. But you know what? 
at least I found something. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm actually... Oh, okay. I was looking at my notes from when we did season three, because I was like, who did I use to get to Nicolas Cage last time? I thought maybe I had also done Tony Shalhoub. I did not. I did Michael Zegan, uh, Joel. Okay. So, um, I disagree with it being difficult, because I have three. <laughs> um, yeah, when you told me that earlier, I was like, how did you come up to come up with three? Nonetheless, one from before. <laughs> so... Okay, so my first one, we'll start with the with one of the guest stars of this season. Oh, okay. Milo Venta Jess Mariano. Mariano. All right. So he is one night stand married guy in yep. season four. He was also in a movie called Curse that came out in 2005, and his character name is Bo, which stars Christina Ricci, also as Ellie, mm-hmm. who was in Mermaids with Cher, Cher, Moonstruck, Nicolas Cage. Well, son of a bitch. Son of a bitch. <laughs> That's a good one. Kay. Okay. Next one is using the marvelous Shirley Maisel, oh. our very own Carolyn Aaron. So she played a nurse called Nurse Sharpling in a movie called Lucky Numbers with John Travolta. Okay. Who was in Face Off. Well, there you go. Okay. That's a good one. And last but not least, I wanted to incorporate, I wanted to kind of also honor Brian Tarantina in... The podcast's own little way by including him in the Six Degrees. Okay. So Brian Tarantino, as we said, played Jackie. He was in the movie uh, Summer of Sam as Bobby Del Fiore with John Leguizamo, who was in The Mandalorian as Gore Koresh. And as we know, The Mandalorian is played by Pedro Pascal, who was in the movie Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. That was a good one. So. Wow. Man, you're so good at these. I'm so fucking good at this. Man. I need to keep, I need to like. I feel like you do these just out, just even when you're not doing any podcast prep. You're you just know, like, you challenge yourself. You know what? Most of the time, these, the date, like recording day, I'm just like, fuck, I need to do my six degrees. That's what I did today. When I, when <laughs> I, so when I, before I left the house this morning to go to uh, my little uh, comic book show, like I'm about to walk out the door and I've said to myself, shit, I haven't done my six degrees yet. I got to get that done. Mm-hmm. And when I got back is when you messaged me that saying you got yours done. And literally I'm sitting at my table like, dude, I literally just finished mine too. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I was. And once some every once in a while, I'll try and challenge myself. I think one time for one episode, I wanted to do all animated oh, steps. Sure. To get to Nicolas Cage. Uh, I think one of the last times I wanted to I wanted to use adaptation. I wanted to end at adaptation. Oh, okay. So I was like, all right, now I need to get to... Um, well, oh, basically anything, Meryl Streep. Meryl Streep, yep. Yeah. <laughs> so, all right. Well, what's been streaming in your bubble, Eric? Surprisingly quite a bit lately. <laughs> I know sometimes I don't always have a lot of answers here, but I got a few things. All right, what you got? But there's a lot of good stuff out right now. Yeah. So... Yeah, like most of the world, I am watching uh, Rings of Power on mm-hmm. Amazon, which I think has been fantastic. Okay. Um, so that's been great. Um, I started watching House of Dragons, but I'm letting that grow. I'm going to let that get a little more into the seat back, you know, like maybe seven or eight episodes in before I jump back in. So I'm only through the first two or three episodes of that so far. Oh. So I'm pretty behind. I know Laura just started watching it. um, And it sounds like she's loving it from what I'm gathering in our chat. Yeah. Um, But there's that. We just finished, literally just finished watching Better Call Saul, Mm. um, which was probably one of the best shows I have watched 
maybe in the last five years. Mm-hmm. That show was so well written. If you were a Breaking Bad fan, this is definitely a show I think that would, you know, really get really uh, uh, strike a chord with you. And we're actually going to start watching Breaking Bad again now that we just finished Better Call Saul. So nice. yeah, that was fantastic. And um. I randomly, as background noise while I'm exercising, I have the Queen's Gambit going. Okay. Uh, this that's my second time watching it. Great show. Definitely recommend it to anyone who hasn't seen it. I tried. I sat down to watch the first episode, and I yeah. was just like, I'm so bored. So the first episode is not a good way to judge that show. I'm going to completely agree with you. The first episode sucks. But that's the whole point of a series premiere is hooking people it doesn't hook you on the first episode Ugh. it just doesn't yeah. however you might even have trouble with the second episode what getting the it fuck? Hooked. i know i know but you're you not gotta, selling it you, i'm not you gotta <laughs> stick with it because seriously from episode three basically the first two episodes are her as a, as a child but what's really interesting is you learn about early on about how she becomes an addict mm-hmm. and how it hits her as a child so as a child addict and how it just stays with her into adulthood Mm. basically so it's really an interesting show about this just this genius genius player who battles with so many demons and you know maybe the writing's not for everybody you know i'm not a chess whiz i don't know a lot about chess the terminology they're using is shit that i i can't really uh make heads or tails of but i love the drama in the show and i just love the how this our main protagonist deals with addiction and being a fucking genius of this game at the mm. same time it's it's pretty cool okay and also being an orphan on top of that mm. so yeah queen's gamut um and then um uh, i don't think i'm really streaming anything else at the moment aside from those shows okay. that i can think of All so right. what about you oh man we are fucking eyeballs deep in star trek it has been awesome. Next Generation. Next Generation. Right on. Voy, which is short for Voyager to save mm-hmm. time. And also Lower Decks, which is where I got that <laughs> Voy line. Okay. Um, so it wasn't feeling well last weekend, so we had to reschedule our Harley Quinn recording, which I'm starting to think is cursed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so my oldest and I, we sat and watched the first season of Lower Decks because he hadn't seen it yet. I don't know what that is. It's... Star Trek. Oh, okay. Animated. There's an animated Star Trek show? That's cool. It's on Paramount Plus. So, like, all the Star Treks are on Paramount Plus. Yeah. And this is a new season. I think it's airing season three or four right now. Oh, okay. Um, And it's hilarious. All right. So, if you're, even if you're just like a casual Star Trek fan, like maybe you only like Next Generation, Uh you're still going to really, because it's filled with references. Name drops, uh-huh. you know, from all the other Star Treks, from original series oh, cool. to DS9, and even like the of, animated series. And I stuff. love it when they do Easter eggs like that in those shows. That's, so, and it's like it's I don't homage. because I never got into Enterprise or Deep Space Nine. I was strictly Next Gen and a bit of Voyager. Mm-hmm. There are still plenty of jokes in there and references that still make it really, really enjoyable. And it's just funny in general. Wasn't Kevin Sorbo in one of those other ones? Um, wasn't he? Um, Scott Bakula was a captain on, uh, in the Enterprise series. I don't know why I feel like Kevin Sorbo was in a Star Trek series. Maybe he wasn't. I don't know. And if he was, he was in one of the season series I didn't watch because okay. I don't recall him in, but we are slow. We are going through a rewatch of Voyager. So he may have had 
a guest starring star starring spot in that. Uh, he. Oh no 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 no. Okay, I'm thinking in I'm thinking uh, Andromeda. Mm. Okay, no. Yeah. Sorry, no. I don't know why I was thinking that was Star Trek. I don't know why you're even thinking of Kevin Sorbo. So. I, just, I, I don't really know. The guy's an asshole. He is. <laughs> Fuck him. So, um, but I think, you know, you don't have to be a Star Trek fan to appreciate uh, how funny and entertaining Lower Decks is. Okay. Um, it obviously helps. Because then you get all the little references anytime they name drop Spock or Riker. Mm-hmm, if, mm-hmm. Even like the Riker, Riker makes an appearance and he's a captain of another starship. Yeah. And, you know, so how all the captains have their own little way of saying, you know, go, you know, engage and mm-hmm. uh, all that shit. And, <laughs> and so Riker, as Next Generation fans know, plays the trombone, likes jazz and all of that. So his little like takeoffs <laughs> saying is... And a five, six, seven, eight. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Uh, John uh, Delancey, who played Q in Next Generation, he's popped up so far. We're not done with, we're not caught up with the series, but it has been, it's so much fun. And now Ross is absolutely hooked and he hollers for Lower Decks like every yeah. single fucking day. Mm-hmm. And I love that we've put him through enough Next Generation and Voyager that he is picking up on some of the references. That's and cool. And he still gets it. Oh, good for him. And yeah. So love, 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 love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. Mm. Actually, we'll probably watch some Star Trek after we're done recording here. So All right. Which is very much what this family's been about. You know, I just said there's nothing else in our in my streaming bubble <laughs> and I was wrong. There was one other show that I forgot to mention and I literally just started it last night. Hmm. Only watched the first episode, but I was surprisingly impressed with it. Downton Abbey. <laughs> Downton Abbey. Jen cannot control herself right now. <laughs> oh no! Did I set myself so up? So funny, but oh. Well, my well, here's good. the thing. So good. Anastasia genuinely good for you. Anastasia sta- Anastasia watched it, um, and then she stopped watching it after four seasons or five seasons in. And her reason was because they kept killing off all her favorite characters. And mm. I was like, "Have you not seen Game of Thrones?" Right. And I was like, "This this sounds like Game of Thrones with more tea and crumpets." And <laughs> I watched, I told her, we were, we, we were just, we were going through, uh, uh, our just shows on Amazon prime and that, like, I happened to stop on it. I didn't purposely stop on it. I was just like stopped on it because I was like, oh, we're not gonna find anything. And she was just like, I'd watch this. And I was like, uh, would I get into this? So she kind of started explaining to me what it's about without spoilers. My wife is terrible with spoilers, by the way. Terrible. Mm. No, mm, that, if anything, thing. that's where I get it from. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Eric has been scolded many a times for not intentionally uh, spoiling. It's never sometimes. intentional. It's never intentional, but yeah. But sometimes shit slips out. <laughs> and, and, oh gosh. Anyways, <laughs> so I was like, "Give me your spoiler-free synopsis of this show," and she did. And I thought it was very. I thought it sounded good. I was like, "Okay." I could deal with a bunch of bourgeoisie fucking uh, uh, white people just seeing how the uh, how the upper class and the lower class or the servants, whatever, how mm-hmm. they mesh together. Sounded interesting. I watched the first episode. 
Um, so first off, there were like three familiar faces right off the mm-hmm. back. Uh, um, the girl who plays uh, Jon Snow's. Uh, um, oh my God, what's her name? Oh, you know yeah. nothing, Jon Snow. Yeah. Um, you know Rose, nothing. The, the actress's name is Rose something. Well, John, his Kit Harrington's real life wife. Yeah, yeah, she, yeah. So she's one of the servants in it, but she's like one of the lower levels uh, maids in it, servants, whatever. Um, then uh, there's the guy, the actor from Dot, and I only know him from one Doctor Who episode. The brother of mine um, oh, from the yeah, Scarecrows. Yeah. Yep. He's in there. He's one of the main actors. And then um, that might be it, actually. Oh, so okay. maybe just two. But anyways, yeah, I thought the first episode was interesting. So I told her, I don't know if I'll like this show, but I like the first episode enough to give the second one a chance. <laughs> and there is like a Downton Abbey cookbook out there. So yeah. where you can, they've got all the recipes from some of the dishes from the different, from the show. Really? So, oh yeah. Uh. There's like a Breaking Bad. There's all sorts of different show cookbooks out there. Downton Abbey's got its own universe going on. <laughs> so it's, no, I mean like a lot, like there's a Breaking Bad cookbook. There's a Bob Burger, Bob's Burgers cookbook. Breaking Bad cookbook, huh? Oh yeah. It's going to teach um, you how to make that blue crystal. <laughs> You know, the, the kid-friendly blue crystal, where it's just sugar. <laughs> sure, it's, it's really sugar candy, but yeah. still. So, cool. Okay, well, you interrupted me. I wasn't done with what was streaming in my bubble. I'm so sorry. You're very bad at interrupting people. I'm sorry. It's okay. For the most part. I'm sorry. So, also, so aside from, I know, I, I probably bored you with all my Star trek Oh, no, you didn't. <laughs> I loved it. But uh, also House of the Dragon, and we're staying current on that, so we'll watch... Uh, next week or tomorrow's episode and I've been really enjoying it it's kind of and I've also been rewatching Game of Thrones and I'm not doing pod prep so it's been really kind of fun and interesting to rewatch that uh, my friend Jill's been rewatching Game of Thrones and for a while we were kind of uh, along the same like around the same points in the series mm-hmm. but because of my pod prep she is she finished season four the other day mm-hmm. and she had texted me, you know, she forgot. She's like, Oh my God, I forgot about the fucking mountain. So I was like, so I sent her the ketchup packet gift and I was like, rest in peace, people's ketchup packet. And she just sent me a very sad looking face. <laughs> that was funny. But yeah, so I'm I'm all about I'm kind of all about revisiting Westeros and hanging out in old Valeria. I guess it would be new Valeria yeah. <laughs> in, in House of the Dragons. Um Yeah, once I, season seven rolls around, you're gonna be like, uh, here we go. I'm i well we'll we'll see. I'll I'll go in with an open mind, but I already know it's like I've like I've said a thousand times, it's the pacing. Those last two seasons were not paced out well like the first four seasons were. Yeah. Everything seemed rushed. Mm-hmm. And I that's the problem that I had with it. Do you feel like, that though, the, the more you cup. watch those last couple seasons, maybe the more you learn to appreciate them a little more, or do you, a little bit? Or do you think they're just, you think they're still just going to have, you're still going to have the same taste in your mouth after seeing them the, um, the first time? I, I think it'll be, like, there are going to be things that I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing, you know, um, Battle yeah. of the Bastards and... Mm-hmm. Um, the attack on Winterfell and everything. Yeah, sure. So some of these, some of those bigger moments. Yeah. Sure. Okay. But um, just kind of overall as a whole, we'll mm-hmm. see how I'll feel by the end of it all. Because, okay. yeah, while there's, you know, scenes and moments I'm looking forward to, is that still going to be enough for me to be like, all right, fine, it was okay. 
That's a thing. I uh, I think I told you and Laura that uh, I was this was a few months ago that I was watching Game of Thrones as like my background show mm-hmm. while I was exercising before I got started Queen's Gambit, and uh, I thought I was gonna go into the last couple seasons more open minded. Mm-hmm. Not and, so much. Uh, not so much. Oh. Actually, I think I ended up hating season eight more this this like third time around. Yeah. Than I did the first two. Um, season seven, I didn't think was as bad, um, because we had the battle of the bastards and that was a huge moment for the series. And Mm -hmm. that kind, I feel like the battle of the bastards saved season seven. And Um, I remember when that episode aired, cause you know, Game of Thrones was on Sunday night. It was on father's day. (laughs) (laughs) It aired on father's day. And I was like, well played Game of Thrones. (laughs) And also was it season six or season seven when, when the hound came back? I feel like that may have been season six. I mean, the Hound was always there because him and Arya had their little well, buddy comedy moments. But he had like a season or two break before we saw him again. Remember, like well, it, that, on... you might be thinking of the Mountain because the Mountain was recast from the early seasons. No, I'm thinking of the Hound. So there was the episode where uh, it was the cold open of the episode where they're they're built where it's on that group of settlers oh, and they're building the yes, church. Yes. I don't know that yeah. he left. I I think it was more just the character. Uh, I and I don't recall exactly. So maybe he had left for a time period but i felt i thought it was more of the character distancing himself from being the hound and from westeros and everything and now he's part of this um it wasn't the the brothers without banners but it was more of that religious um, it was just some group some group yeah just some settlers whatever yeah and the one actor he was in deadwood i can't think of what his name was but he was kind of the head of that guy yep yep are the head of that group. So I don't think it was, I don't, if I recall correctly, and it, we know that's not, my memory is not always reliable. I don't think it was the actor. I think it was just the character had departed and Mm -hmm. it was just part of that storyline. Okay. Yeah. Cause I thought, I, I'm pretty sure that now that I'm thinking about it, I think he came back at season like he, we got the, the hound made his, uh, appearance on screen again after the incidents with Arya and with Brienne at the beginning of season six. I was thinking season seven, but never mind. Cause I was thinking of season seven and some redeeming moments. And I was thinking that may have been one of them, but I think that was season six. So but, and, yeah, Anyways, whatever, but it's been really kind of interesting to rewatch game of Thrones through. Basically I'm kind of seeing Danny, especially Danny in a different light than I've seen, than I've watched her character in past rewatches. Sure. Every single rewatch of Game of Thrones I've done, I I love Sansa more and more and I'm team Sansa all the fucking way. Mm-hmm. That poor that fucking woman, she she had some shit cards dealt to her, but she managed and I think that she started plotting and scheming a lot earlier than maybe some folks mm-hmm. will acknowledge or or realize possibly. Mm-hmm. Sure. Uh I think from the second spoilers that uh, Ned Stark died, and she was forced to look at his head on a spike. That was the moment Joffrey broke her, and I think from that moment on, she really was like paying attention and taking shit in. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that I think she was a lot smarter than she let on, and a lot more schemy than she was letting on to the people around her. Yeah. Otherwise, because Tyrion has a line in like that first season of like Lady Stark, "You will outlive us all," and she sure as shit did. Mm-hmm. So. And Tyrion's right about everything. <laughs> Peter Dinklage is amazing. <laughs> he drinks and he knows things. Hey, that's right. So, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, it's been kind of interesting 
viewing Danny in in a different light than I did say like the first time I ever watched Game of Thrones. I mean, Thrones. who wasn't obsessed with with with, with Danny when you, when they first saw Game of Thrones? But you it's know? like her being like it's always been there. This yeah. unstable her the her yeah instability instability her desire. Her madness has mm-hmm. always been there. Her entitlement has always been there. Mm-hmm. Her cultural appropriating appropriation of the Dothraki culture has always been there. Mm-hmm. So, and it's really when they get to Marine where you actually see all of the the more uh, Targaryen side of her kind of coming out. You know that that old saying: when a Targaryen is born, the gods flip a coin. Yeah. So that's kind of now when the I think once the but takeover see, of Marine I... takes place is when all that starts to really come out. Yeah, but I think it's there's more subtle moments than that. Yeah. Bef- before that. Sure. Sure. And again, that's just a matter of perspective, knowing how this season ends or how the series ends, uh, knowing that I'm just wasn't happy with it. Yeah. So we'll we'll see. But yeah. I, I do. Well, I'm glad Game you're watching Thrones. it. I'm glad you're watching it again. It's still one of those shows that I feel like it's easy to go back to. Well, Game of Thrones is probably it's probably up there with one of my most rewatched series that like isn't a sitcom. Sure. You know, sitcoms are easy to rewatch a half hour as you burn through them real fast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think the only other show I've probably rewatched more than Game of Thrones is Letterkenny and Chorzy, <laughs> <laughs> which reminds me I'm due for a rewatch of those. Hmm. Um. But other than that, yeah, just uh, some pod prep, House of the Dragons, and it's spooky season. So I'm all about spooky yeah. videos and spooky shows. Hell yeah. Stuff like that. So Awesome, dude. Oh, and uh, one other one that we both just recently watched, Harley Quinn season four. Yes. So that was great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so. And that's all we'll say about that because we will get that fucking recording in. I swear that to God. recording's cursed. It is so cursed. <laughs> so the first time we tried it, it was uh, you, me, and Laura. Yeah. And the audio was shit because I must have not pushed the right button or something, wrong input, and none of the audio came out. So then we rescheduled, and we were supposed to do it uh, like last weekend and, and include Marty from At Marty Podcast. He was going to join us for the Harley, Harley Quinn conversation, and... Uh, I wasn't feeling well, so we rescheduled because I was like, I just, I can't fucking do this. And that man had like some medical shit done and he was ready to go. And I'm like, I'm tired. And I was like, man, I'm such a fucking weenie. I was just kind of giggling to myself that afternoon. I was like, what is wrong with me? So we've rescheduled for the first weekend, the first of October. That's next Saturday, isn't it? (laughs) I think so. I've got a lot of recordings coming up too. Uh, So we're going to try again. We'll make it happen. It's gonna fucking happen. I good. swear to God. It'll be so, good. so I'll rewatch Harley Quinn, the animated series, um, again. <laughs> I've already watched it, rewatched it a few times, but I love that show. It's so funny. Yeah. And I, I, yeah, we'll just leave it at that. Okay. Okay. So I meant to write a better introduction for this, but I am going to start incorporating other indie podcasts uh, promos. Into my show, indie podcasters out there that would like to do a promo swap, go ahead, hit me up. I'm on Twitter at Streaming Bubble, or you can send me an email, mystreamingbubble at gmail.com. All right. Well, I want to thank Eric for stopping at the pod basement and bringing me things. He brought me a bunch of Harley Quinn. He got me some Cobb Squad stuff and adding to my DC collection. So thank you. I'll post pictures of those later so mm-hmm. everyone can see and be like, hey, that's great. Um, <laughs> and I want to thank the listeners. I want to thank you, Bubblies, for tuning in as 
always. Thank you so much. And keep streaming. Bye. Bye. If you're enjoying this podcast, be sure to let me know by rating and reviewing wherever you get your podcast fix. Follow me on Twitter at Streaming Bubble. Find me on Facebook and Instagram as My Streaming Bubble. Have thoughts, suggestions, questions, or want to be tolerated? Email me at mystreamingbubble at gmail.com. If you want to show your love and support for this little old podcast in monetary form, search My Streaming Bubble over at buymeacoffee.com and buy me a cheese wedge. And if you want to take that love and support to the next level, head over to Redbubble where you can find and purchase My Streaming Bubble merch. All monetary support goes right back into this podcast from new recording equipment to night cheese. Thanks for your support and keep streaming.